to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston. This evening, I'm joined by Diehard Chris to talk about the 2021 Houston Texans offseason, um, if you want to even call it that at all, because this isn't a football team. This is your local mega church, your pulpit for Jack Easterby to stand behind, but we'll do the best job we can, like we've done for you know the entirety of our lives. How are you doing tonight, Chris? I'm doing great, man. I'm always excited to talk about the fellowship of the Texans. <laughs> I think that gives a bad name to those uh, those warriors who saved that ring, you know. <laughs> that that is that is very true, but I mean, they at least exuded some competence. <laughs> um, so I guess like the before we start though, we do have a 24-hour super mega podcast apocalypse or podcast apocalypse happening this weekend. And I guess we're starting Friday at 8 o'clock, is that correct? That is what I understand. We are starting at 8 p.m. on Friday. And that's central time because we're ethnocentrists and this is a Texans, I guess, podcast. So, of course, it's central time. Um, and we'll run for 24 straight hours. Hopefully, there's always somebody talking. If not, I'll just put on, like, NFL Game Pass radio call of Mike Vandermeer, <laughs> and then we'll get hit with litigation because of it. But we'll figure out yeah. a way to do it. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and we're doing this. Uh, we're, we have a charitable element to it. We're not really going to go into counting up donations and tracking dollars and all that. We're just kind of asking you to, hey, you know, support the pod. Well, not to support the podcast, but to support us doing the podcast by making some donations to uh, the Cancer Research Institute. You can just search Cancer Research Institute online. You'll find them. Uh, it ha- they have been researched. I uh, used a website to to research how much of their funds actually go to programs versus their overhead. And they're one of the tops in that area. They're, they're very highly rated. So uh, I think pretty much anyone who is listening to this has been touched by, you know, cancer in one way or the other. I know I have, I'm sure anyone listening has either, you know, a loved one or a friend or an acquaintance has. So we're doing that. And then we also would just ask, Hey, you know, maybe throw a dollar, a couple of dollars to the JJ Watt foundation or Deshaun Watson's foundation. And you can obviously find those online. We didn't want to do a thing where we have, you know, a third party handle the money. So we're just asking you to, to, to donate straight to them. Not make, we're not making a big deal out of it. We're not going to track it, but we're just hoping that you might, uh, you know, find a couple minutes and a couple dollars to send to them. Yeah. I love it. It's the DeMarcus cousins way of living where you just do good things to do good things. You don't do good things to broadcast. <laughs> you've done good things, you know? Yeah. Well, you had to bring up, you had to bring up Boogie. He's gone. He's gone. Yeah. My favorite player of the last 10 years and blue as a kid, you know, <laughs> but as so happens. Now it's Darren Fox, which is whatever. But we have a lot of football stuff to try to talk about and do the best job we can talking about a team that's not even a football team. And so we'll do this by talking about the moves that Nick Casario has made, um, some of the free, some of the pending unrestricted free agents they have, some cuts they can make, some decisions they can make on some internal players, what free agents the Texans should pursue. And then I have a really big NFL draft take, so make sure you listen to the entire podcast so you can – hear this really big NFL draft take I have because it's very important and I ensure you will change the entirety of your, uh, of your consciousness. So the first move the Texans need to make is fire Jack Easterby. And of course they're not going to do it and they didn't do it and they aren't going to do it. 
But that's the first move they should make is fire Jack Easterby. And uh, even if they trade Deshaun Watson, they should fire Jack Easterby or relocate him to, you know, Cornerstone Christian Church or, uh, you know, Wake Forest University or Winston-Salem or Liberty University, wherever. Just get him out of the Houston Texans, and uh, but that's not going to happen. But for the 2020 off, 2021 offseason, the Texans have $5.89 million in cap space right now. After releasing Jay, well, they have they had five point eight nine million dollars in cap space after releasing JJ Watt, which is the 17th most in football. Uh, Nick Casario is an early bird; he's already made a couple of enormous decisions, and so I kind of reflect first on things that he has already done. So so far, Chris, Nick Casario has released JJ Watt to save fifteen point five million, Nick Martin to save six point two five million, Sunil Calamente to save one point five million, Peter Kalambai to save seven fifty thousand. Josh McCown to save $1.075 million, and Duke Johnson to save $5 million. Um, we did record a podcast a few weeks ago to talk about them outright releasing J.J. Watt. Since then, he signed a contract with the Arizona Cardinals for two years, $28 million, $20 million guaranteed, including a $12 million signing bonus. So, Chris, since we last spoke, does his contract further push the point that the Texans should have traded him? And if so, does this hurt any little bit of hope you have for the for the future of the Houston Texans? I mean, it definitely backs up, I think, our play, which is they should have gotten something for him. And it's not just that simple. It's also that they could have done both things, handle it the right way, and also gotten some compensation for him. I understand that it makes it a little bit more difficult, even if you do have a set of teams, because then you're going back and forth between maybe multiple teams. Maybe you're having J.J. and his agent negotiate a contract a new contract with multiple teams trying to figure things out before the trigger is already pulled. But here's the thing. The, the, when, when you're the GM of an NFL team, it's a hard job. It's a very hard job. So that to me is to be expected to, to have those sort of machinations just because it's hard and it's complicated. doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, especially when I'm not even saying that they should have, you know, of course I think they should have maxed out their value. Maybe in a perfect world, they could have gotten a third, but even if they would have somehow gotten a fifth, with all the complications that they would have had to gone through to do that, it still would have been something. And I just cannot be convinced that, you know, there that the best play was for them to get nothing at all, just so that he could be completely unrestricted. So I, what was the second part of that question? I went on so long. Um, does this hurt any future, any hope you have for the future of the franchise oh. at all? All right. Now I, now I know why I couldn't remember because I don't have any hope because of the first <laughs> item on your list, which was, which was Jack Easterby, which, you know, you want him removed. I don't even care about that. Bill Jack, Cal is, he's either a billionaire or he's in a family that is, that has billions, whatever. Build Cal or build Jack his own church right next to the NRG. I don't care. Like make it, give him a huge office, <laughs> give him an entire, give him an entire, you know, church choir. I, I, I don't care. Just keep him off the practice field. Keep him out of the offices. Make him your spiritual advisor. Like actually call him that because that's what he is. Strip away all the football duties. Keep him in the organization. I don't care as long as he's not around, as long as that's just Cal's personal business with him. So as, until that happens, then I, I really do ha- don't, don't have any hope. And I know that sounds extremely cynical, but I think as I've said before, if you screw up Deshaun Watson, a guy who has been a good soldier and will work with you and who is young and who is a generational talent and is obviously willing to work through crap and be a good soldier, if you screw that up, You'll screw anything up. So why would I have hope? <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. And I mean, like for me on my end, like this is a new general manager, Nick Casario. 
and like maybe he knows what he's doing. Maybe there's mm-hmm. like some chance he can build like a good football team. Um, and come into like this sort of mess that he's in. But that's what really kind of irked me about the Watt thing is that if really like there's no like this upcoming season doesn't matter. The 2022 season doesn't matter at all. Like everything about this franchise is about like what could happen, you know, three years from now, for example. It's all about the future and like making decisions now to get like young players and young talent to go through like that sort of, you know, trust the process rebuild that you know Miami went through and Cleveland went through. And Houston looks like they're about to do the same thing too. But it's like whenever you come out and you release Watt outright and not trade for him and not getting like a third round draft pick with which would have seemed very easily to do. The contract wasn't an issue. Teams are willing to pay him. Arizona just paid him more than what he was already making. Um, then he's not ready to begin with. And so it's like, that's a big that's a big difference to make. And it's not only that, it's like a team with no draft capital, but also if you're a team facing a rebuild, draft capital is the most important thing. And just a failure to even extract a pick out of them um, is completely like absurd. And it, and it really just gives me cause for concern that like, Oh, not only is there no, there's like this season doesn't matter, next season doesn't matter, but now it's like there's no hope that like a season for three years from now may not matter if they're making decisions like this that are you know classy or whatever because they may be concerned. You know, JJ Watt may tell John McClain that this, this, and this, and this are happening or this happened. You know. Right, and I, I assume we're going to carve out some time to talk about David Johnson during this podcast, oh, so I'll sure. save it for then. But that that move specifically has me you know, has, has, a, has far reaching effect on what I think are undisputable facts with this organization going forward, which, you know, I, I'll just, I'll just wait until we get there, but I, I definitely have thoughts. So, so yeah. And I mean, part of this is when Casario came on we have all the issues with Jack and Cal and all that. I too, at some point had the thought, well, okay, the Deshaun thing is something that Casario walked into. He didn't cause that. So beyond the Deshaun thing, I do have confidence that Nick Casario can be a good general manager. That's what I thought. And then some things started happening specifically related to David Johnson that we'll get to that have me uh, thinking the opposite now. Yeah, exactly. And, and like the, I guess we can talk about the David Johnson since you brought it up, but the Texans rather than outright um, release David Johnson, they, which would save $6 million in cap space. They, or or let's say a little bit more than $6 million in cap space. They instead have restructured his contract. So now he's due, he's due $4.25 million this year guaranteed, $6 million total. And like, look, David Johnson was slow last year. He couldn't break tackles last year. He couldn't get extra yards to the box last year. His vision was bad in the outside zone offense they try to run. Bill O'Brien tried to make him a focal point in the offense through the first month of the season. The Texans went 0-4 largely because of that. During that four-game losing streak, he had one good run against Kansas City. That was it. He, he wasn't even good as a receiver. Most of his uh, receiving yards came on dump-off passes because they ran four verticals. He was standing there by himself and was able to make things happen out of it. He had one good game against the Cincinnati Bengals, and that was because the Texans ran that spread, quick-passing offense, and they got the Bengals into like five-man boxes and six-man boxes, and they have no linebacker play and no defensive line play in the interior to begin with, and he was able to run for like 8.3 yards to carry that game, and that's what uh, he did last year. And like, This is a team that needs cap space, that doesn't have cap space. Running back's probably like the least important position on this team as well, too. So not only are they paying a bad player $6 million this year, they're paying a, a bad player who's playing a very unimportant spot, $6 million, on a team that needs cap space. And the difference in like David Johnson, rather than him, that could be a pass rusher. That could be a starting center. 
That could be a starting mm-hmm. guard. That could be um, the difference in keeping Will Fuller not this year. You know, there's a wide variety of things that um, are completely like just really stupid about keeping him here for another year, regardless of if this is a good team or not, because it does affect like their ability to add new players this year, even if it's young players on a cheap contract as like a tryout sort of basis this season too. And um, again, like picking back off this little lot thing, like this is yet another decision that was made, you know, already in the first three weeks of the offseason that give you cause for concern that 2023 may be a good time to be a Texans fan, you know? Ugh. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm, I'm trying to get there, <laughs> but let's get through this first nightmare offseason first. So with David Johnson, okay, you want to restructure him. I'm totally fine with a restructure of David Johnson's contract if he was even good, maybe even average, because then you can make the argument, and, and I, that this is, this is like doing, I'm stretching. Like I know that I'm stretching when I say this. I'm trying, I'm trying to see this through the lens of the Texans. I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. So maybe you restructure him if you think, okay, well, they let Duke Johnson go. They re-sign these young guys. Presumably there's going to be some undrafted guys or maybe late-round draft picks come in or who knows, maybe they'll blow a high pick on a running back. I don't know. It's going to be a young running back group. So maybe you want a veteran. Fine, restructure David Johnson. But he's not good. If he's great in the passing game, fine, restructure him. But he's not great in the passing game. Like there, There's nothing that David Johnson does that is nearly worth the money he's going to get that you can't replace with a younger or just different cheaper guy. And so this tying back to the whole Jack Easterby thing tells me that one or two of these things are true. Number one, Jack Easterby has final say over personnel Mm -hmm. and outranks Nick Casario and, or Nick Casario is doing a favor for his buddy, Jack, because it makes him look bad. It makes Jack look bad that the only compensation left on the roster for DeAndre Hopkins one year after the trade is Ross Blacklock, which if that is the decision that Nick Casario made makes him a bad GM. It certainly makes it a bad move. Now, maybe he won't continue to do those kind of moves, but if he does it once in a year where they need cap space, and then you add the JJ Watt thing to this, they need draft picks. If they're doing this for reasons that aren't purely football reasons, then that's bad GMing. So either Jack outranks Nick Casario, even in personnel matters, or Nick Casario is not good at his job or both. Or like even, I mean, I think even if Easterby has a modicum of influence on the personnel decisions that are being made for this team after they said multiple times in all their press conferences, Jack doesn't have any decision-making on personnel. Jack has his own things he's very good at. No, we can't name these things. Uh, we're going to be clear communicators, and that's what we look for as a football team. Despite not communicating clearly every chance they've had, every opportunity they've had to do so as well. But I think like even this shows that Eastbury has some influence. Um, I think for sure because like even I, you know, who's not a football genius, last year watched the film of David Johnson's like, oh yeah, he's the worst running back on this team. Like they couldn't have at least gotten Chase Edmonds or Kenyon Drake mm-hmm. for DeAndre Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Like that's a much better trade. Um, again, David Johnson. And so, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. And I really think what the signing is more than anything, it's a failure to fail admit that they were wrong last year, which like everybody knows that they're wrong. But rather than just owning be like, yeah, that was a bad trade. We really screwed that up, huh? Uh, they doubled down on it in like a slightly different way by keeping here for another year whenever like he should not be here at all whatsoever. And yeah, uh, in it's a completely outrageous. There's yeah. no reason for it. There's no reason for it. And like if Watson's it, it, here, that $6 million is so important. Like it's critical for a team without cap space. 
um, to get like a starting caliber player instead to waste on somebody who's really bad at, at his job. Yeah. And I think what you said about the, the importance of the position even adds to it because it's, it's, it's just not an important position on, on this team. And it's certainly, you know, his production can be replaced by or exceeded by a guy who's younger and cheaper, an undrafted free agent, a low, lowly drafted free agent, you know, a cheap veteran. I mean, it, 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 I'm trying not to always be so constantly cynical. I know that I always sound that way. A lot of us do. I'm really trying, but logically, like just using logic, I don't see any other reason other than the fact that it looks bad if David Johnson, if, if the only compensation left on the roster for DeAndre Hopkins is the second round pick that turned into Ross Blacklock. Yeah, I mean, it still looks bad either argument. way. Right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm trying not to just be so incredibly cynical with all that, but I just, I, I don't see any other way, especially when you add to the fact that it's a rebuilding year and you shouldn't be spending that on a guy who's on his best day average. Yeah, or if Watson's like on this team, you know, Deshaun yep. Watson's your quarterback, this should be a team that could win, you know, nine games, 10 games because Watson's a top five quarterback. And like, again, that's a waste of, it's a, it's like the opportunity cost of paying David Johnson is a, is a completely ridiculous if Watson's going to be here too as well. So we had two listener questions uh, regarding David Johnson. The first one's from at get underscore crumped. And he asked David Johnson over under 200 touches in 2021. Uh, I mean, if he stays healthy, I, I, I think probably over, I mean, it, I, I can't, again, I, I'm, I'm trying to use logic where sometimes logic doesn't apply. Like, is he an every down back? No. Did they use him as an every down back last year? A lot of they the time they tried to, sure did. they, yeah, they to. sure did try to. So, I mean, if you're going to keep the guy on the field on the team, I should say just for the optics of the Deandre Hopkins trade then why wouldn't I also think that Casario or that uh, Easterbeek have the same influence over David Cully, who he obviously does outrank. Like, there's no question about that. People still wonder about whether he outranks Casario, which he, I think this move clearly shows that he does for personnel matters. But so, I mean, obviously the entire David Cully thing, again, trying not to be super cynical about it, but clearly David Cully said himself that he took this job because there's only 32 of them. So yeah. of course he's going to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to get DJ in there for you know, 35 carries. Well, that's an important part to remember about this, Chris, is that we have not seen David Johnson in a David Coley offense. Who knows what he can come up with there? I mean, this is the breakout season for David Johnson. I'm going to make one of those Twitter accounts. It's like hashtag David Johnson in Coley, David Coley's offense season, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, we know Coley's offensive philosophy because he said it in an interview. If we have to go three and out, that's fine. <laughs> I don't know how many, like how many, we're going to win some games if we do blah, blah, blah. How many? I don't know. I mean, that, that is the perfect, that is the perfect offense for an, for uh, David Johnson to be the every down back in. I love it. Uh, so these other guys that are released, Nick Martin, Kelmente, Callum Bay, uh, Josh McCown, Duke Johnson. Do you have any big thoughts or opinions on these decisions that were made? I mean, I saw a lot of people giving Casario credit for, for the Nick Martin move. I mean, I guess, I mean, he was a Bill O'Brien guy and Bill O'Brien's not here anymore. And, you know, I mean, people say, well, Easterby was here for that contract extension too. Yeah, sure. But, you know, O'Brien's not here because supposedly, I mean, you know, presumably Easterby helped run him out of town too. So Nick Martin is gone. He was, I think, again, at his best, he was average. You combine that with bad offensive line coaching for the, for the, for all the Devlin years. 
Yeah, I mean, it had to be done. To me, that was an obvious move. The Kelamite move was an obvious move. You know, I, so far, I haven't seen one that surprised me. So, you know, to me, these all seem like normal off-season, you know, types of transactions that, that GMs do. So I, I don't see anything that impresses me. I've just seen a couple of things that I think are incompetent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Martin's like as average as you could possibly be. Um, I don't think he's worth, like, he wasn't worth being paid like a top seven center. I kind of love Casario for making the decision to cut Nick Morin outright, but everything else has really kind of outweighed that one decision that you know, makes sense. And like, I know, I know Kenneth um, on the website kind of talked about Max Sharping maybe being a potential option at center that they would release Nick Morin and make it happen. I didn't see that being a possibility. I still don't really see it happening, but now the door's open for Kenneth's uh, prophecy to come to fruition, which is interesting too. What's your what's your favorite moment in Nick Martin's time in Houston? <laughs> oh man! Well, of course, again, like were these to be better times as a Houston Texan fan, I would scan my memory to find to try to find something good. But you know, he's a center, and a lot of times with offensive linemen, you, you don't notice the good things because you know they. They, you only notice the bad stuff because a sack happens or an assignment gets blown or a poor snap happens that potentially loses you the entire game as it <laughs> did last year with Nick Martin. Or, you know, he gets completely obliterated off the ball and, you know, does a backward somersault into Deshaun Watson. I mean, I, I remember a lot of – I have this, like, vision in my head of all these things sort of happening at once throughout time and space. And uh, I'm trying to remember the positive ones, and I just – I just really can't. So um, my favorite moment is, you know, well, he was cut. Um, and, and I know that's, that's, that's very cynical and kind of mean, but that's where the Texans have me right now. Oh, you, I mean, you can be as cynical as you want. Like we, we were right for being as like, wait a second, this doesn't seem correct at all. Um, and for everything we said for the past few years. So now's the time to really glow in the cynicism, but I'm still trying to keep like a, a crescent moon of hope that maybe in 2023 things will be okay. My my favorite thing about Nick Martin, I mean, the best moment was the skid snap because it was so hilarious. Like he was so afraid of Rover Stewart, and like he tried to get the ball off quickly so he can make contact with him, missed completely, which allowed Stewart to you know run the backfield, knock the ball away from Watson, and create the fumble that lost the game. But I did kind of like watching the film of Nick Martin, not because he was like good at all. Again, he was perfectly average, but because he'd make like one or two blocks a game that I had no idea what he was doing or what he was trying to accomplish. Like I remember watching him in this outside zone play where he just like he dove head first like a like a diving pig um and like didn't even didn't even t- touch the linebacker at all he was trying to cut block but he reached an mm-hmm. arm out and was able to trip him so like the full head first dive like being the wrestler was enough but it was that arm he stuck out that was able to bring him down that was missed for a holding penalty and so he did all these kind of like weird things like that that just somehow kind of worked out in his favor but yeah very average um I don't really, it's like, you know, a glass of milk, like it's fine. It's okay. I don't love it. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and I remember when they let, you know, Ben Jones go and everyone was kind of like, Oh, you know, I, if I remember right, I, I feel like people thought he was better than average, but they shouldn't keep him around because it was just too much money. And it was sort of an understandable move, you know? And, and then they drafted in center and Nick Martin and you know he missed his first season because he was hurt. And he just kind of seemed to, he always seemed to be like at his best one notch below Ben Jones. And it just, it just is what it was, but somehow he got an extension because 
dependable, tough, smart. Mm-hmm. Well, and Ben Jones is like very average in Houston at that role. And then he turned to like a top seven center in Tennessee and has been, you know, really great there. Like, I think he just got stronger in Tennessee. I think the Texans have kind of had that problem with their interior offensive linemen, just them being like lazy, out of shape, not strong enough. And Martin did have that ankle injury too. He always kind of reminded me of somebody also that was like the coach's kid or you know, his parents are big boosters. And so like he just gets a starring spot no matter what, despite not being like, you know, good or bad, just being you know, very plain. But there's probably a few guys who are better who can play instead. But like, you know, the, the parents, you know, bought a new scoreboard. And so now he gets to play instead. That's always kind of like what Nick Martin reminded me of. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Um, so the other guys, I really don't have, like, I like Duke Johnson a lot. I think Duke Johnson's better than David Johnson. I think not, yeah. I think not paying him $5 million, that makes perfect sense. Um, I would like to see Duke Johnson come back at cheaper contract or just like cut David Johnson and then bring Duke Johnson back for $3 million. But I could see Duke going to, you know, a team like, um, the chiefs or, you know, a team like that has a, or like even like the Bucks that have like a good offensive system where he can be a good pass catching back and do like what he does best instead of being kind of thrust as like a first running back um, after David Johnson got hurt this year. Sure, sure. And and Duke and uh, Darren Fells are two guys to me that are, that typify the Bill O'Brien experience, right? So Duke Johnson is a the guy, they brought him in, they, they, uh, they traded, I, I think a third rounder for him. Yes. Um, if I remember right, mm-hmm. and then never used him the right way. And the, and so Darren Fells is a guy they signed off the street the year after they spent two draft picks on two tight ends and who got all the playing time, yeah. Darren Fells. Mm-hmm. I, to me, to me, those are two players that just signify a lot of what was going on with Bill O'Brien. You sign a free agent, you don't even, you don't even play him to his strengths. You know, you, you draft Deshaun Watson, you don't even play him to his strengths until, you know, despite himself or despite Bill O'Brien at some point, you know, Watson started to overcome that. And then as soon as O'Brien was gone, look what happened. Best season he ever had. And then, you know, you, you spend all this time going over uh, draft prospects and like, Oh man, you know, these tight ends can really help us. Let's get these two guys. They look really great. And they did look good. I liked both of those draft picks and they sign a guy off the street for nothing. And he becomes their starter. Yeah. I mean, to, to me, th- th- those, th- those are two, windows into the soul of what it was like to live under the oppression of the Bill O'Brien era. And also just like watch Darren Fells be only like a big red zone target and have eight touchdowns. Like he's never have eight touchdowns ever again. I think he had four this year and being an atrocious blocker and get all the playing time from the kids you could develop was, you know, this year was very frustrating too. Um, yeah. It, Chris, it took the league a little while to, fi- to figure out that, that play that he and Deshaun ran all the time. Yeah, and then, then once they figure it out, then his production went away. Yeah, the tight end drag flat option, which like yeah. O'Brien <laughs> wanted to be the staple of the offense entering this year as well too. Um, right, but Chris, which would can, be great if he was a two A high school football team, but it's the NFL, so people <laughs> were like, "Oh, okay, here's how we defend that." Yeah, this isn't the Hutto Hippos at all. This is the Houston Texans. <laughs> all right, Chris, imagine Kahali Waring in David Coley's offense. How incredible does that look? Oh man, I I mean I want to see it. I, I I just I can't wait to see the David Coley offense, aka uh, the Tim Kelly offense without Deshaun Watson. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. I Just can't, balls I can't bouncing to. off his breastplate, hitting him in the face mask, you know, him getting uh, a 10 yard catch on third and nine and then celebrating like they just won the Super Bowl. Like, I don't think he's done that yet, but for, for some reason, I just feel like he's got a little bit of, he's got a little bit of Travis Kelsey in him, not, not an ability. I mean, maybe, 
but in in the fact that like he'll celebrate everything as if he just won the Super Bowl. That's that's just a weird prediction I have about Collie Waring. Interesting. Whenever he whenever he goes on to another team and, and succeeds, I will I'll be looking very closely at um at how he uh, how he styles after he gets a first down. Well, he did have that one first down against Indy, and he did celebrate a lot. Him and Chad Hansen celebrated together. So I could see that. But I think he'll only okay, celebrate so that. Did, the, that did come from somewhere. I didn't just make that up in my head. I think he'll only celebrate the first downs, uh, the very monumentous, you know, occasions. And that was a big one for Collie. You know, he didn't know what the A gap was when he was uh, when he first started playing football at San Diego State. He's come a long way. So give him some time. He just needs a little bit of time. But I can't imagine <laughs> see him in a David Coley offense. So the other this, the other free agent they resigned was Buddy Howe for one year, one point four million dollars, mm-hmm. and also a uh, Dontrell Hilliard as well. I don't understand why they're re-signing these running backs who have done nothing at all whatsoever, aside of being like a special teams ploy too. But again, so far the Texans who like need every drop of cap space possible to oh, add to the uh, defense or find two new starting offensive linemen have instead uh, just put all their minds to the running back position so far. I mean, it makes sense to me because they know that this is a rebuilding year. They know that they're either going to trade Deshaun Watson or he is going to not play. So either way, it's going to be a rebuilding year. And again, when we talk about the whole, you know, the whole running back position and its importance, like that's exactly how I would handle the running back position in a rebuild. I would just have a bunch of young guys, you know, at least a couple of them have a little bit of experience. I guess Buddy Howell is supposed to be a pretty good special team. I, I guess he was all right. I feel like I he's like really... 31 years old already, though. So is he is one of those guys who's hung around? Well, I feel like it. I so, feel like I've, I've always heard Buddy Howell and he's never done it, anything. It, it, always, it always bugs me in preseason because – in preseason, like in a normal preseason where you have four games or whatever, and maybe that's the thing of the past now, but it always bothered me that they, that teams, or maybe it's, I don't know if it's just the Texan or Texans or if it's all teams. Like I want to see so many running backs in preseason because of all the positions where guys just come out of nowhere and do well, it always seems like it's the running back. So you have guys on the, on the, you know, on the team that they, that are undrafted and, you know, maybe they haven't looked great in practice or whatever, but some guys just turn on when the lights are on. And so I, I'm cool with like young and inexperienced guys or even, you know, a guy like Buddy Howell is more of a special teamer. But I, I'm all for like an all rookie or all first or second year running back team going into a rebuilding season. Now, obviously, if it wasn't a rebuilding situation, I would not feel that way. Yeah. Well, Howell's 24. I don't know. He's never done anything at all for me. But yeah, I'd rather have three undrafted free agents at running back than have David yeah. Johnson, Dontrell Hilliard, Duke Johnson, Buddy Howell. There's no Duke in this in this batch of running backs, but yeah, right. I agree with you. you, I, you I would see, want to see three UDFAs out there. How many undrafted free agents or even lowly drafted free agent running backs can you get just for David Johnson's salary? Which mm-hmm. again, that's why it doesn't make sense to you me get because like nineteen of them. If yeah, if Johnson was good, at least a little bit good, then I would understand. But he's not at all. So that make that move makes absolutely no sense to me. And I've heard a couple of people defending it on the radio, and I've seen a couple of people defending it on Twitter, and I'm just like, I don't have the energy. I can't do this in 280 characters. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. No, whenever you see that, you just hit the sleep button on your phone, you put it down, and yes. uh, you do something differently. <laughs> you know, there's a much better yes. world in front of you than what's on the, yeah. what's on the phone. I, I usually just gnaw on my knuckles a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've already uh, cut my whole tongue off. You're big on the internet, some things that we've seen. Um, you know, everything <laughs> you sound from, great, then. Everything from DeAndre, yeah, I've, learned, I've learned a lot the past two years. Um, everything from Deshaun Watson's better because DeAndre Hopkins isn't here, so he can spread the ball around. To oh uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on yep. and on. He um, did have his best season. <laughs> yeah, because young great players I, I tend, tend to get better. Yeah. Um, so they're also playing, re-signing big almost play PJ Hall 
Farrell Brown and AJ Moore. Do you really care about any of these things? I mean, Farrell Brown's another one, you know, from that time, anytime, anytime there's a tight end that they didn't draft, I just think about how they drafted, you know, Jordan Akins and, and, and Jordan Thomas <laughs> and, and put all the draft capital into those guys and they turn out to be nothing. So, uh, I mean, he Pharaoh seemed like he did a couple of good things last year. He could block um, well, but yeah, yeah. And I mean, he's like the is he like the only he's the only tight end we have that is even remotely good at blocking. I, I, think, I think he so. might be. I think he is. So, I mean, in the context of this team, I guess he's good to keep. But how many other rosters would he make? Probably not very many. I think he's the best blocking tight end in Texas franchise history. But I don't know a whole lot about <laughs> Benny Joe Peru. I wasn't fully alive whenever that occurred. Uh, he's he wasn't the best good. blocking tight end I've seen play for Houston. And no, CJ Fedorowicz was a good tight end. Yeah, good old CJ. He I could remember. have been good maybe, but he wasn't a good tight end. No, no, he was not. He sure looked the part, though. I loved his tattoo. That bald eagle tattoo is sick, but not not very yeah. good tight end. Uh, I think PJ Hall is kind of like a litmus test, too, of like the the losers who watch the film. And the people who are very smart <laughs> and and don't watch the film because like PJ Hell flashes throughout the broadcast. He's like, oh look at that, PJ's pretty good. And then you watch the video. It's like, yeah, for every one play that that happens, there's ten plays where he's like driven five yards back into the linebacker and gives up a seven yard run because of it. So I mean, I think he's a fine rotational piece. AJ Moore gets is like a special teamer slash four safety. Um, you know, nearly cares. They can come back. It's fine. I don't really feel strongly either way, but I think Farrell Brown's probably the best player of that bunch of three. Yeah, how sad is that? But but yes. This I, is what I, we get I, I in agree. 2021. Farrell Brown blocking. I mean, th- this is where we are now. This is, <laughs> this is who we are as Texans fans. I'm grousing over signings like Farrell Brown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, this is the following free agents the Texans have. Aaron Free Agency, which will start, I guess, March 14th is whenever the the unofficial official tampering tampering period begins. So they have AJ McCarron at quarterback, Brennan Scarlett edge, Gary and Conley cornerback, Dylan Cole inside linebacker, Roderick Johnson, offensive tackle, Vernon Hargreaves, mm. the third cornerback, John Weeks, long, long snapper, Philip Gaines, cornerback, Michael Thomas, safety, Tyrell Adams, linebacker, Kyle Emanuel, linebacker, Brent Qualley, offensive guard, Carlos Watkins, defensive line, Cornell Armstrong, cornerback, Geno Stone, safety, and of course, Will Fuller, the fifth, the wide receiver. Um, do you want any of these players back? And we can save the Will Fuller talk. So aside from Will Fuller, do you want any of these players back? Um, hmm. um, well, okay, full disclosure, I don't think I have this list in front of me, so I can only have it from you reading it off to me there. Um, so this doesn't make for very good audio. Um, but if you could just kind of go down the list and like, give me like two seconds after each one, I think that would be a more effective use of our time. All right. AJ McCarron. <laughs> right, how about we do this? You uh, say yes or no. I'll say name. You say yes or no. You ready? Oh, it's never yes or no, Matt. You must know me better than that. All right. Let's try it like this. AJ McCarron. I mean, you kind of have to, because he's going to start because Watson's not going to be here. <laughs> okay. Uh, Brandon Scarlett. Eh, no. Gary and Conley. Depends on the price. I mean, nah, he's been injured too much. It's rebuilding year. No. Dylan Cole. Uh, for the right price, sure. Roderick Johnson. Yes. Vernon Hargreaves. No. John Weeks. Yes. Philip Gaines. <laughs> no. Michael Thomas. 
I mean, sure, he's a decent special teamer, I guess, and he'll be cheap. Tyrell Adams. If he's cheap. <laughs> I'm still imagine like uh, Levy Smith being like, yeah, we got the next version of Lance Briggs and Brian Urlacher here in Zach Cunningham <laughs> and Tyrell Adams. Um, Kyle- I, I mean, see, the, the problem is I don't trust the regime to pick replacement level guys in the draft or undrafted or off of the free agent scrap heap to replace the guys that I at least know a little bit about. So there's context to all of this, which is why it's hard to give her yes or no, because, you know, Tyrell Adams wasn't terrible, but he wasn't great either. Like right at first, everyone's like, oh, he's going to replace, you know, Bernard McKinney. And then reality quickly set in. But you at least saw him flash as a guy who could be somewhat competent at times. Do I trust these guys to replace him with a guy as a rookie or as a scrappy free agent? No, I don't trust them. So I edge towards like bringing back some of these guys who I at least know have a little bit of potential. Um, but I wouldn't if I trusted the regime. Yeah, I like that. I understand. I think Tyrell Adams is bad unless they can teach him how to tackle because that's the big problem that, they, that he has. He just can't tackle. I think he missed like 17 tackles last year. It wasn't very a lot of fun to watch at all. Um, Kyle Emanuel. I mean, no. I don't, I, I I don't know who he is either. Brent, yeah. Brent Qualley. Remember Qualley, who Max Sharping was benched for? Yes, no. <laughs> Carlos Watkins. Nope. Cornell Armstrong. Nope. Geno Stone. Nope. All right, so I'm I'm with you on these as well too. I'm anti Brent Scarlett. I think Robert Johnson is a is a really great swing tackle, but with Charlie Heck, I can't see them keeping him unless they move Tyus mm. Howard to guard, and then you keep Robert Johnson, you put him at right tackle. Um, I would well, also be interested in if like you go full rebuild and you trade Laramie Tunsil for a first round pick, and we'll talk about this right. a little bit too. Uh, you know, that exactly Robert is Johnson. why I said yes about Johnson. So, okay. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to it. It's weird because there, there are two different paths here with all this stuff. At the same time, it's like there's this team with Watson, which probably isn't going to occur, and there's this other team without Watson. Um, everybody else, like, I really don't – I don't like Gary and Conley, but I think they're going to keep Conley just because if they kept David Johnson, they're going to be like, oh, we traded a third-round pick for him. We got to keep him here, even though his 2019 season was really uh, fool's gold and uh, he was all, he was hurt the entirety of last year, which led uh-huh. to you know, Vern, Vernon Hargrave starting every game outside cornerback. And then uh, I I really don't like watching Carlos Watkins play. Like I know DJ Reader is great, and then they drafted Watkins from Clemson. Like everybody kind of waited for Watkins to do something, and he really did nothing yep. for four years. You know, he's like the Christian Covington from Clemson. I'm very I'm I'm so glad we don't have to watch uh, Carlos Watkins play at all anymore, though. Yeah, I feel like the Texans over the last several years. There's a couple of positions where uh, it kind of goes back to what I was saying a little bit ago. There are guys who they should be able to churn off the roster and bring in a replacement level guy as an undrafted free agent or, you know, a mid or maybe even a low draft pick or a cheap free agent. But because they have no ability to bring those guys in, they end up re-signing guys on on the defensive line, like seem like to be one of those one of those positions where they just keep bringing them back and re-signing guys like you know, Brandon Dunn and Watkins. And I don't know, did Blackson ever get into a second contract? I think he did. Uh, he did. So, they resigned him for four, uh, three years, $12 million. And I read an article saying, this is really stupid. This is what uh, bad teams do and dumb teams do. And a lot of people were like, Andrew Blackson's actually pretty good. And he, I think he had two quarterback hits that year and they released him. And then, you know what happened? He was actually kind of good in Arizona last year, which really made me sick. Yeah, yeah. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like there, there's this portion of every roster that should be churned every year. And the Texans just 
seem like they thought, well, he's been here three years, but I feel like he's going to take a leap next year. Like they do everything based on, well, I think he could do better with another year or this running back who's washed up and hasn't been good since 2016. If we trade for him, he'll have a change of senior and he'll be much better. Like they, they seem to have thought about that, thought that way in a lot of, in a lot of areas, which is not a way to run a team. I, I never thought I would miss Rick Smith. And I'm not saying I want him back, but he's undoubtedly better than what we've had since, uh, since he left. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I completely agree. It's also like being a team that's bad developing players too and being like, oh, okay, you know what we need? We need to coach them a little bit longer even though we haven't been able yeah. to coach him by very well. Aside from these like supreme talents, you don't need to practice and still be great at playing. The, the whole like idea of the NFL being you know good old boys club, I mean, is there a better example of that than Mike Devlin? I mean, how many offensive linemen came through Houston? never got better and then maybe left and actually did get better. And they can never take these guys and coach them up beyond their, beyond where they were drafted. Like they never, like Roderick Johnson is the only guy I can think of who either was not drafted or was a very low pick and seemed like he had a little bit of potential at times. You know, I'm sure there's a couple other names here and there, but, but by and large, it's the opposite. They draft guys and they're not very good or they get a guy and he never really rises above, you know, his, his, uh, his draft station or, you know, his potential, like they never, they never seem to coach him up. They never seem to be able to work with the guys they have, which is, you know, why they had to go and blow all that, all that capital to get Larry Mutunsel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was kind of, we've talked about that a lot before too. It's not like the fact that the Texans don't have young talent, which they kind of don't, but it's that they've struggled so badly to develop the young talent they've had. That doesn't really matter at all. Whenever you know, these guys are just, you know, pretty bad all the time and, and nothing really kind yeah. of good comes out of it as well either. Um, so yeah, and then you, you get this whole question of like culture fits with players. Well, what about coaches, man? Like at some point, results have to matter. Mm-hmm. And this was this was how many years have we been screaming for Mike Devlin to be gone? I understand that you can't just keep a guy for one year, but after two years, three years, where you're having guys come in and no one's getting better, and then you have guys leave and they play better, like uh, that to me is a giant flashing red light indicating that there's something wrong with that coach, and yet he remained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also love Bill O'Brien always talking about accountability. And then just firing everybody else and then never looking yeah. at himself for accountability. You know, that was always yeah, a good class, time classic, classic BOB. Um, so the big free agent that was Will Fuller, and he's really like the only guy of the script that matters at all. He had 53 catches on 75 targets last year for 879 yards. He averaged 16.58 yards of reception. And he also led the NFL in receiving DVOA. So the franchise tag this year is 16.25 million in a deep free agency class that includes Allen Robinson, Chris Samuel, Corey Davis, and a slew of competent veterans. Do you think Will Fuller could get $16.25 million on the open market if you tagged him? Or if you didn't tag him? Mm, I, feel like, I feel like he could, but only going by that rule of it only takes one team mm-hmm. to fall in love with a guy. Like one team will say, all right, well, with our offense, he'll be effective. He has top end speed. He's recovered from injuries and somehow maintained his top end speed. He just had a, his closest thing to a healthy season, which I don't count as a healthy season because he didn't play the entire season, Mm -hmm. but it is the closest thing he's had to one. So yeah, I I feel like, I feel like he could get maybe a one year deal for that kind of money, but he's not going to get a multi-year deal that averages that much. If that makes sense. I I think that's probably where he ends up is, is something like that. Yeah, I agree too. I don't think he would get 16.25, but the transition tag is $14 million. And so it allows Houston to match any offer. It also, if a team does decide to give them more than $14 million, they can decide to to match or just pay them 
that one year fourteen. And so for me, like I think that's the way to do it. I think it's a. Uh, I think the best. That's what I would do if Watson was going to be here. I would transition tag him, match the offers that come up, um, keep him in Houston because like teams aren't bad because they pay good players a lot of money. They're bad because they play like mediocre to bad players or players who aren't that important a lot of money. And so I don't think like you're really in a bad spot right. if you pay full or fourteen million dollars. So like the talent's undeniable. It's the optics. It's the suspension. It's the injury injury history um, that kind of hurts you from that. Like he's not a true number one wide receiver, and the fact that. He can't carry a passing offense. He doesn't create a lot of first downs. But like you need that element of speed on the outside for like a spread quick passing attack that they could possibly have with Watson this year um, if he stays. So that's what I would do. I would transition tag him and match any offer. And then um, if a team beats the offer, at least you get – I think you get a pick out of it. I don't want to be um, lying at all on that. But at least you have the opportunity to match any offer for that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'd, I'd like there to be a situation where they have a choice instead of just saying, you know, you're gone or I'm definitely resigning you to a long-term deal. I, I think that's the, that's the best thing because there's all the uncertainty. Well, uh, to me, it's not uncertainty with Watson because, like I said, either he's not going to play or he's going to be traded. So for me, it's a little bit, I guess, of a different calculation because we – but I think we all – just because Deshaun Watson is a good citizen, we're all allowing for that – 0.01% chance that he, he might just be like, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore, which I don't think is going to happen. But I, I think that's the reason why we're at least sort of couching it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, with Fuller, I, I, I just, and for me, I, I would not sign him to a long-term deal. And I don't think I would use the regular franchise tag on him because to me, it's just way too coincidental that he was healthy during a season where he got popped. Yeah. Just way too coincidental. And if I was him, you know, a lot of guys, this is one of those things where they want to do a one-year prove-it deal. If I'm Will Fuller, I'm not doing that. I'm just trying to get the most guaranteed money I can possibly get. And that's not a knock against him. It's just facts, man. Like, it's it's just unfortunate because he was not injury-prone at all in, in college. But for whatever reason, in the NFL, it's always been an issue. So if I'm him, I'm getting the most guaranteed money I could possibly get. Yeah, it's funny. It's like he went from not being able to catch a football to be able to catch a football, but then his hamstrings wouldn't let him actually play football at all anymore. But yeah, I don't. I you don't get any compensation for the transition tag if somebody takes him away from you. Uh, but yeah, I want to at least have the option though. Again, this is all based off Watson being on the team. If Watson's not here, you know you don't need Will Fuller at all. Uh, Will, I Absolutely hope you have a great time. Maybe if he was a true number one, <laughs> then you at least have someone on the on the David Culley offense. But I mean, uh, yeah, he's he's a he is what I would call a one. He's a one A. You know what I mean? Like he is. He is about one of the one of the best non number one yeah. wide receivers in the league. But when you have that whole element of health, uh, I, I just I just don't think you can deny that. Yeah, I agree with that too. And like I think Fuller will get like twelve million dollars a year somewhere, you know, thirteen million dollars a year for like three or four years. Um, I think uh, I think he'll get something kind of similar that Robbie Anderson got last year in Carolina, um, too. But probably more guaranteed money than Anderson got. And he was like, you know, he was great last year for Carolina too. So I think Fuller will be great. He'll be he'll be good in you know Green Bay or New York or Jacksonville or you know wherever he goes or Miami, you know, places with cap space who could get him. Um, to even though Green Bay does him, I, I could see him end up being in the Packers uh, to a certain extent as well. So there's also the next list here are teams with possible cuts. Uh, slash cap savings as the next group of players. So Brandon Cooks, if you come, you save $12 million. Whitney Merciless actually counts $3 million against the cap. Eric Murray, nine hundred sixty-eight k. Brandon Dunn, $3.15 million. Zach Fulton, $3 million. Darren Fellows, $2.3 million. Randall Cobb, you lose uh, $1.7 million because of his dead money hit. Bernard McKinney, you get $6.4 million. 
Uh, so first, I want to talk about Brandon Cooks. So would you keep him for a cap hit of $12 million um, this year? No. I mean, unless Watson is staying. Yeah, well, let's and say or if Watson's is. staying, would you keep Cooks for $12 million? Uh, I, I actually would. I think they, they developed some pretty decent chemistry. He also is not a number one. Neither is Will Fuller. But I'd rather them make do with that then go spend, you know, their highest pick on, say, a wide receiver in a rebuilding year. They have to rebuild the defense. So I would assume slash hope that they're going to spend their little draft capital that they have on, on you know, mostly on the defense. But, um, you know, 12 for one year, I mean, he was pretty good. He stayed healthy, you know, but I also think that the reason he, one, you know, one of the main reasons he was good is because of Deshaun Watson. So yeah. Exactly. Uh, if he if he were to stay, then then sure. Like I, I don't have a problem with 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 Cooks. I don't like Cooks at all for twelve million. I think if you would keep him, I would try to like give him some guaranteed money and try to wiggle that down to eight million dollars. Because I think about Cooks is he doesn't win vertical routes on the sideline anymore. This he's already started to deteriorate his speed. Um, the only cornerbacks he beat on vertical routes were like you know uh, Sidney Jones in Jacksonville and you know third string, fourth string, fifth string cornerbacks. Um, against actual cornerbacks like Legarius Steed, he couldn't do anything at all. He already had that calf injury last year, and so like that maybe limited him too. But again, it's like another year again for a smaller guy with the injury history to to be injured if the calf was actually bothering him that much. He also has such a small hitbox that it's really hard to throw him the short crossing routes, anything kind of shorter, because of how small like his torso is. And uh, mm-hmm. Watson missed him a ton times a lot of short crossing stuff. And that too, like because of his concussion histories, you don't want to throw him screens. You don't want to throw him like quick passes. You don't have him along the middle of the field. And so you're kind of trapped with him. But like, the one thing he could do really well was run those deep crossing patterns off of play action. Uh, there's more to unearth here in the deep passing, uh, play action passing game. Again, if Watson still is the quarterback here. But a lot of those throws that he had were because Watson's absolutely ridiculous. You know, it's like I have no yeah. idea how he was able to put that ball to that spot. And like a lot of Cooks' receptions are because of the creation of him. But I would keep Cooks for $8 million. I wouldn't keep him for $12 million at all either. If Watson isn't here, I wouldn't try to outright release him. I would try to trade him. And if you traded Cooks, like what do you think you could get from a trade? Oh, man. At this point in his career, uh, I think – I think you'd be pretty lucky to get a fourth for him. Um, but he had, he had you know, a thousand it, receiving yards last year, Chris. Remember how important receiving yards are? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Bill O'Brien ain't there making deals. So I, I feel like cooks would be a guy that you would ideally trade near the trade deadline, not in the off season. Okay. Um, after, after he's been healthy all season up until the trade deadline. And, you know, one of those, one of those, like in the old days of the Patriots, like when they made a deal for cooks, uh, it would be a, it would be a, it would be a perfect time for a deal like that. Um, so yeah, as far as draft compensation, I would be shocked if, if you could get better than a four for him. But I mean, again, I'll ask you this in this hypothetical where Watson stays, you get rid of cooks. Do you, do you trust the Texans to bring in, uh, your number two, you know, your, if Will Fuller stays, he's default your number one, even though he's not a true number one. Your default number two receiver would be Brandon Cooks. Do you, if you don't re-sign him with Watson, do you trust this team to bring in a guy who's going to get that level of production? I don't. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. Point. I know it's very defeatist, but I need to, I need to see them do something before I'm just going to be like, oh yeah, this is great. Like, Casario <laughs> hasn't exactly had great drafts in the last several years. You know, I'm not saying he's bad. I, I think Casario might be good, but he wasn't the fi- He did not have the final say 
and New England. You know, he was a part of he was the part a part of the mix there with Belichick running the show. So I have no idea if he's going to be any good. I know that in the on the teams where he did have his stay, they didn't have great drafts lately. So I mean, I, I just feel like you can't look at these moves in a vacuum. You have to also take into account, well, what are these guys going to bring in to replace them? I, I don't know. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I, I think that's kind of the hard thing about all this, too. It's like, whenever we're looking at this, this isn't a football team, and who knows if they'll make a right decision or not um, at the same time, too. But I don't know. I'm just like, I think Cooks is overrated. I don't think he's as good as he's made out to be. I think it was just more of a product of like being in a wide-open passing attack. You know, once Tim Kelly took over, and him catching a lot of cr- uh, deep crossing routes off of play action, and not necessarily the fact like he's some supreme route runner or has a speed that gives cornerbacks problems at all. Like, I think he's a very, like, underwhelming player. And I think this would be, if you're going to trade him, I think you'd probably get, like, a third-round pick only because there's so many compensatory picks in the third round that, like, you know, a team maybe like Seattle or Los Angeles or whoever may trade for him and then offer him a two-year contract and lower his cap and kind of do the thing that we're talking about. Um, and I'm talking about Los Angeles Chargers who have a ton of cap space this year and always can use more vertical passing for Justin Herbert. So, I don't mm-hmm. know. I think you get a third. I would trade him for a fourth even. Um, especially if Watson isn't here either. So, also, do you think they could get anything for Bernard or McKinney at all? Uh, what's his salary going in next year? It's I think it's seven million dollars, and if you release him, it's six point four million dollars. You save. Um, I feel like you probably could. I feel like you could probably get you know a low pick for him. Um, you know he he I don't he's not injury prone, although he's coming off a bad injury. So sure, I, I feel like they could probably get something for him. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any expectation of anything more than probably, you know, maxing out at a five. But, yeah. but I, I feel like they probably could get something for him. I think it'd be hard to. I think you just have to find a team with a ton of cap space um, and a team that's really bad at stopping the run. Like the Patriots, for example, were awful at stopping right. the run last year. They have a lot of cap. It only space. takes one team, you know. For sure. Um, I would like to see him in Oak in Las Vegas, I guess, not Oakland, because they've had bad linebacker playing. Corey Littleton was terrible last year; it really hurt my feelings uh, how bad he was. <laughs> and so I can see McKinney playing there too. I just I don't think Houston's going to trade him. I think they're going to be able to get like I think if I would trade him for a fifth in a Deshaun Watsonless world. Um, but I would and I would kind of miss well too if he's there, just because he's great stopping the run and stopping the run is the least important part of the core components of football. And again, for a team with salary cap space, I'd rather have a pass rusher or a cornerback than have Bernard McKinney. As much as I love McKinney, he's been like you know, my favorite defensive player Houston's had for, you know, since, I mean, like it's, it's Jay Van Clowney and then McKinney over like the last, like since 2016, you know? I got you. I mean, you know, having the, the money on the books for both Cunningham and McKinney, it just doesn't seem likely that they're, but they would both survive that. But, you know, they could surprise us. Maybe maybe they feel like they could get more money for, for or more draft compensation for Cunningham and end up keeping McKinney. I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what, which one of those guys is, you know, more suited for Levy Smith. I think, I think I've heard that Cunningham is. But uh, Levy Smith hasn't had this defense been run in the NFL for so long that I don't even <laughs> remember. And, and on top of that, if he, doesn't, if he hasn't evolved that defense, then, oh, my God, like – the defense was so historically bad last year, but uh, you lose Watt <laughs> and you go into the next year with little confidence that it's going to be any better. Like, could it be even historically worse than it was? Oh, I, I mean, I think it's on the table and I still can't get over Levy Smith there. But like, they say that because you know, Zach Cunningham's fast or something, even though he's one of the worst coverage linebackers in the NFL. Can't cover running backs in the flat. Awful at carrying the seam. 
Um, and like, if you have him play in this Tampa two defense, like he he covers the intermediate deep middle, and like he hasn't shown any ability to do that either. And I think Cunningham like isn't that far off of a bad coverage defender, but I think he's a better like strong side linebacker. And we saw like a lot of the holes in Cunningham's game last year without McKinney too. But I think McKinney, I think Cunningham just has a contract that's untradeable, and so I really couldn't see anybody um, anything for him. But like we kind of joked around last time, like whenever the Texans play this year, who comes out of the title? last on defense it's gonna be right. Cunningham, and it's gonna be the biggest oh heart sound you'll ever hear uh whatever sad that world, like, it's sad, gonna be sad world it's gonna be good that there's no fans next year um if covid's still going on not because like covid's good or anything like that covid's terrible and it sucks no i get it everything that's happened but the only good thing about covid is the fact that there's no fans to watch this texans team and see <laughs> that cunningham be the last defensive player come out the tunnel I mean, Easterby's in charge, so I feel like Ross Blacklock is going to be the last defensive player out of the tunnel. <laughs> Maybe second to last. I also want to add that about the Cooks thing, too. There's no way this version of the Houston Texans doesn't have Brandon Cooks on the team. He's going to stay in Houston. They're not going to cut him. They gave a, a second-round pick for him. Uh, sure. He's going to stay. They're not going to release him at all. They're not going to trade him. Brand Cooks and he's a culture fit year. boy. Yeah. He is definitely a culture fit. <laughs> he's a man. He's a man of the fish. Um, so, is, yep. so is there anybody else you'd cut from this group of Wendy Merciless, Eric Murray, Brandon Dunn, Zach Fulton, Darren Fells, and Randall Cobb? I mean, it all depends on the cap savings, like how much the dead hit's going to be versus what we're gonna what we're gonna be saving. Um, I again, I've thoroughly believe that Watson won't be here one way or the other. So to me, like when you rebuild, you rebuild, man, it's an, it's an all in proposition. So uh, as long as it's not going to cost you to cut a few of those guys, like more than it would cost to keep them, then I would, then I would, I would get rid of almost all of those names to tell you the truth. I mean, Fells, I don't, I don't see any reason for him to hang around. Like Watson made him good and that one play made him good. And that's over now. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, um, I don't know why Zach Fulton is still on the team. The, the, the saddest tweet I've seen in, in several months, not related to the Deshaun Watson stuff was the one that I don't know if it was, I think it was one of the six ten guys, Vandermeer or John Harris or something. Someone put it out there. Maybe it was neither one of those guys. Somebody put it out there that Zach Fulton can play center. I mean, yeah, that is just a sad tweet. And that may happen just, too. Like he may play center next year. Yeah. Sharping might play center. Zach Fulton might play center. I uh, think they they're going to keep a high draft pick on a center. <laughs> I, th- I think they're going to keep, Fult- I think they're going to keep them. Um, personally though, I would cut everybody on this list. If Watson isn't here, if Watson's here, I would cut everybody um, on this list except for Randall Cobb because you don't gain anything in cap space for it. And if you're going to be okay. running like a spread, like five wide receiver offense, any little bit of wide receiver play um, is beneficial, even if it's Randall Cobb, who wasn't very good last year. And Cobb has a cap hit this year of like $10.17 million. How, Ouch. how incredible is that? I mean, let's just think about who signed him. <laughs> that's, 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 that's why we know. Um, Merciless is another one. So, so do you have it in front of you? What the, what the cap hit is versus how much he's on the books for, for Merciless next year? If you release him, you, it actually costs $3 million against the cap. Okay. So you don't gain any cap space if you cut when you Merciless. Right, right. And, and I, I did know that. So here's my only thing with Merciless. I'm not saying he's been great in his career at Houston. He's obviously had a couple of solid seasons. A lot of it was the result of other guys being doubled. He's got a lot of garbage sacks. But up until this year, he was always a guy who 
was, dare I say, DTS. And last year was just, he just went off a cliff so severely that I just have to believe that there was an injury or something that was keeping him from, from being maybe just a little bit below average instead of being maybe the worst defender I've seen in a long time. And I'm a Texans fan, so I've seen a lot of bad ones. And just watching him, watching him run to the sideline yeah. and chase down a running back was just, it was just sadness. Like the, the, the guys that would just blow past him that he would have the angle on. I mean, it was just so sad. And I just, it's hard for me to imagine that a guy like Whitney is just Cadillacing out there and not putting in max effort. I just feel like he, he must've been hurt and he's maybe not one of those guys who's going to come out and say, well, you know, I was nursing an injury and I didn't want to say anything. Like, I don't feel like he's that kind of guy, but you really can't take that chance. So, so yeah, I mean, at this point for what he is on the field, I, I would just, I would just release him and, 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 and eat the dead money because it was just so bad. Now, if I thought with confidence that there was like credible evidence out there that it was an injury situation, then I would say, eh, you know, maybe you keep him around because you literally have nobody on this defense whatsoever. I think he just got old. I don't think it's an injury thing. I think the the clock spun around enough times and he doesn't have anything left. So I think that's what it was. Yeah. I mean, it's just the severity of the drop. Like, you know, some guys it's gradual. Some guys it is immediate. Or some, some guys it's a little bit more steep. But man, I can't remember the last time I saw a guy just fall off a cliff so much like that. Like, especially when, you know, you can watch a game and, and even a casual football fan can see how damn slow he was Mm -hmm. like that to me, that just screams, there's gotta be some kind of an injury because I can't fathom that he's the kind of guy that would just go out there and half acid. But I mean, at this point you just, it it doesn't really matter what it was because you can't take the chance that you're going to get that again. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's just one of those things when you're a guy who's like a, a spectacular, incredible athlete. And then once your skills start to drop, like you're gone, you know, we saw the same thing. Like Clay Matthews had a big fall off like that too, where he got really slow. Um, I think we saw the same thing, same thing with Merciless. And it's like, you know, it's a position on the edge where it's a speed position. And Merciless has never been the fastest guy. He always kind of won with like hand fighting and like rip moves and like really wide pass rushes that were created by interior pressure. And so I think it's just a case where he just doesn't have the quickness and all the speed to play that position. I think it's a time thing. I could imagine a world where. Um, he's competent ever again. So you want to hear the highest cap hits for the Texans' top seven players? Oh, I would love to. I'll, I'll give you the top nine players. You ready? Okay. I don't know. Maybe it's top ten. But I'm going to go all the way to a certain player. You ready? So sure. Laramie Tensel, $19.4 million. Deshaun Watson, $15.9 million. Brandon Cooks, $12 million. Whitney Merciless, $12 million. Zach Cunningham, $11.4 million. Randall Cobb, 10.4 million, Bradley Roby, 10.2 million, David Johnson, 8.5 million, Benarjit McKinney, 7.9 million, Eric Murray, 7.4 million, and then Kaimi Fairbairn, $4.2 million. <laughs> the kicker yes. is the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. The eleventh highest play pay player of the team is their kicker, uh-huh. Kaimi Fairbairn, who can't make a kicker at 50 yards. What a great way to construct a football team. It is. And, and let me also go back, like, uh, let me add to what I was talking about earlier about the window into the Bill O'Brien era being Darren Fells and, um, and, uh, oh man, who was the other player that this was my own thing that I said, and I can't even remember who the other guy was, but there were those, there was these players that, uh, 
Oh, it was it was it was Fells and ah, it's killing me. Anyway, terrible audio. Sorry about that. But but these guys like with Fells, you 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 drafted all these tight ends. You bring in Fells off the street for nothing, and he out, and he outperforms them. Um, and then with Kaimi Fairbairn, I I am of the opinion, and I've yet to be proven wrong on this. There are two kinds of kickers. There's kickers that are good in the clutch, and there are kickers that are bad. Those are the only two kinds of kickers. If your kicker is not clutch, there's no reason to re-sign him. You could just sign a free agent for cheap or draft a guy until you find a guy who has proven to be clutch. So there's never a reason to me to re-sign a kicker unless they're a clutch performer. So Kymie Fairbairn hasn't had a whole lot of chances to kick clutch field goals, but I know he's not great at them. He might have hit a couple, but he's definitely not plus at it. So that's another that's another type of for me, that's another philosophy for a roster that that stands the test of time. Like I, I unless they're a clutch kicker, I see no reason to ever resign them. And then you take a guy who's not known as a clutch kicker and you give him the size of the contract that they gave Fairbairn, and I really just don't understand that at all. Yeah, I agree too. And like the other thing that's funny about this as well, it's like the Texans are a team that are kind of top heavy and built by star players. And they're the the top heavy players they have are Tunsil, Watson, Cooks, Merciless, Cunningham, Cobb, Roby, Johnson, McKinney, and Murray. And it's like these are what like these are their top these are like their highest paid players who are supposed to be their stars to drag their team. And you have one guy who's injured and like four bad players, uh two average players, and like two players are like maybe the best of their position. But it's such a just like ill assorted you know, collection of players they've had here with no like vision all for the future. And they really went all in on 2000 in 2019, just to, you know, blow a 24 point lead. And now we're in the rubble of um, that previous mismanagement. Yeah, it is depressing. Duke Johnson was the other player earlier that I was, yeah, thinking of that's that, right. that was typified the Bill O'Brien experience. Yeah, it is. It is. It is incredible how quickly uh, things turned here and top heavy teams don't win championships. I mean, you have to have depth. You got to have you know cheap guys who play well. You got to have um, front offices that take advantage of uh, cheap, solid rookie quarterback contracts. And the Texans have and have had none of that. So so here we are, and that is a perfect example. When you start getting down, and you know, three four guys in are the biggest paid guys on the team is a guy like Whitney Merciless, who you know that first that first extension. I get it. The second one made no sense at the time, and it makes even less sense now. Yeah, I completely agree. And I it's just it's outrageous. Like I also I didn't look at it like that at all. I think it's kinda of interesting way to like look at the entire league is just look at their ten highest paid players and I think that gives you kind of a good idea of like where their team is and what could happen for them like this upcoming season. And for the Texans it's uh that's one of the worst rosters in the NFL is what that is. And like even with Watson, it's a bad roster, it's a bad construction too. And uh, uh-huh. it's absolutely hilarious. So there are two paths for the Texans this offseason. The left path where they keep Watson uh, for the entirety of the summer and uh, and pray that he somehow, you know, Jack Eastby prays hard enough and decides to play for the Houston Texans again. Or the right path where they trade him. So I like with all the cuts we talked about, again, the only thing, I, the only change I make is I would keep Cobb with Watson. I would cut him if he doesn't stay this, stay here at all. Um, but the big kind of thing about this is, would you trade Laramie Tunsil if Watson um, is is traded as well too? And you think you could get a first-round pick for him? I would trade Tunsil either way, to tell you the truth. I love it. <laughs> like, I, I would trade Tunsil either way. 
Tunsil is one of those guys you paid an enormous price for him. And while I don't think they could get two first round picks for him, I do feel like they could get a first and maybe a third for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he did, he did play really well. Like he got over the holding penalties a little bit, I think. The false uh, or, starts. I'm sorry, the, the false start. Penalties. Yeah. yeah. He got, he, he seemed to get over that. Um, I, I would trade him either way, at least try to now. It, now, if that is one of those things where they decide they all, all of a sudden they want to take, Deshaun's input a little bit more. They've already gotten rid of so many guys and made made so many changes that he probably doesn't like. Then you know I would keep him around if they did come to some sort of a common common ground and hang on to him. Like and it was just you know to keep Deshaun happy. Fine, whatever you deal with it. But yeah, if he's gone, I mean there's no reason whatsoever to keep him. And that's why I was in favor of them uh, re-signing Roger Johnson mm-hmm. because you know he could be a swing tackle and you know maybe with now a better offensive line coach. I know that where he came from last year was uh, San Diego, right? And they weren't a great offensive line. Is that right? That's where the new, is that that's where the new offensive line coach came from? I think. Yeah, he came from San Diego. But he had he had several good year good lines when he was in uh, when he Bay. was in Green Bay, mm-hmm. and I, I just I just feel like with an offensive line coach, like one year isn't really a is probably not going to be the best example of what he can do. So I, I would just be like, Hey, we got a guy who's got some proven ability. He's not the best guy out there, but he's definitely a huge step up from what we had, you know, addition by subtraction kind of thing. And so I, I would say, let's try to get a guy and coach him up, you know, maybe, maybe even get a mid round rookie in there or uh, spend on a free agent. That's not going to completely, you know, cripple your salary cap. And, you know, a guy that you can actually convince to come to Houston somehow, that'll be another trick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but yeah, that, to me in a rebuild situation, it's obviously a no brainer, uh, to the point where I think they might even have trouble, uh, getting decent compensation for him because everyone's just going to assume that they're going to trade him as soon as they possibly can. Once, once it's known that Watson's not going to be there. So, uh, yeah, I would honestly, my preference would be to trade Tunsil, um, either way, because as great as Tunsil is, I think you can at least get, you know, 70, 75% of, of him. And, you know, if Watson's going to get hurt, I don't think it's going to be be because he gets blindsided because of a, a missed ha- a missed block. It's going to be because he runs, he cuts, he yeah. spins, he, you know, he, that, that's how he's going to get hurt. I feel like it's not going to be because he gets blindsided. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think like left tackles are overrated in football, you know, like that stupid book came out and everybody thinks it's the most important position. And it's like, yeah, what Lemmy Tense allows you to do is you play a game against Minnesota and Yank and Gawkwood doesn't ruin your day. Like that's what he does. But what's more important is like your offensive system, your design, your pass protection, like working in unison, knowing who to pick up, and uh, and like also getting the ball out quickly. That's what's more important than your offensive tackles, especially at left tackle. And so I agree with you. Like I, I would look at you know possibly training Tensel even with Watson. Without Watson, I would train him too. And like I think Robert Johnson could possibly play the position. Um, I would get somebody else as a backup just in case, you know, because I wouldn't go all in on Roderick Johnson starting left tackle. But it's an idea there too. And there's three teams in the first round that I think are all potential options for a tensile trade. Uh, Carolina at number eight overall, they had Russell Kuhn start left tackle last year after they traded Trey Turner uh, to pick him up. Was hurt last year, wasn't very good when he was healthy. I think Okung's one of the more overrated, like left tackles in the league, you know, throughout his career. Um, Indy had Anthony Costanza retire recently. They have the 21st overall pick this year. And also, Indy has a ton of cap space, again, like they have every year. Their team is Jacksonville, number 25. Cam Robinson's a free agent. They don't know who's going to play left tackle for him yet. Um, this is their second 
uh, first overall pick or their second first round pick from the Jalen Ramsey trade. They're going to take Trevor Lawrence. I'm sure they would give a first round pick to Laramie Tunsil too and have the cap space to take on his contract as well. So uh-huh. I think all three uh-huh. are potential options. Um, if Watson's not here, I would take a second, third round pick for Tunsil. I think Tunsil is like a no doubt, like you have to trade him if Watson isn't here. If he's here, like you probably don't do it, but I would entertain all first. I think I would take Carolina's number eight pick for Tunsil and like a third round pick as well too, if that's possible. Yeah, that that sounds like that sounds like a good plan, and 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 I just I can't imagine like I really feel like they get a first for him without a doubt. But you know maybe I'm just maybe I'm just overrating um, maybe I'm just overrating the league the league's need for left tackles right now. I mean they they the league the league you know the perfect example is the league has seen Laramie Tunsil defending uh, blocking for Deshaun Watson and what happened four and twelve. So uh, and I just I just feel like all second most sack player last year too. Like again, it's like no right, example. Yeah. Like left tackles are important, but they're not important to the ecosystem to protect the quarterback. I mean, look at the look at the Dolphins' offensive line. You know, <laughs> they they had a better season than the Texans' line did too. So yeah. I, I just that's where they brought him from. So I I, I really hope they can get a one for him. It's, but it, it just it's just going to serve as another reminder of how completely out of his element uh, <laughs> Bill O'Brien was as the GM and with Easterby assisting him or whatever. I mean. That that deal for Tunsil, like so many franchise altering moves, like any one of these moves you can look at that we've talked about over all over the past couple of years could be thought of as a as a franchise altering move. The Texans have like four or five of them. Yeah, all in the span of like eighteen months as well. Um, so the next batch of th- decisions here, free agent targets, and so uh, there are no free agent targets. Who would want to come to Houston? Um, so that's our show for tonight, Chris, and I really enjoyed talking to you, and uh, make sure you listen to the 24-hour podcast this week, and again, uh, Chris, tell us what time it is going to be, and also about what charities you should spend your money on. 8 p.m. Central Time, starting Friday, Uh, the Cancer Research Institute is the main charity that I'm hoping people will go and donate to, because again, I think we've all been touched by cancer and one way or the other, I personally have that right now going on in my family. And I had a very close friend who is a breast cancer survivor. Um, and then, uh, so I think that's that's a really worthy cause. Just can't just research on your own if you need to. Um, at the beginning of the show, I went into some of the specifics of why I chose them. But uh, again, as we're not taking third party money and passing it, so we're not really tracking it. So really, you can donate to any charity you want to uh, if you feel if you feel like it. We're not gonna you know parade about it and 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 you know give numbers because we don't know. We just don't want to deal with the hassle of there being a third party pass through. We want to make sure they get their money. We don't want anyone to have any uh, nefarious thoughts about passing it through to us. It's just it just it just brings a whole negative vibe. So the cancer cancer research institute. Find them online. Uh, also, we encourage you to donate to the J.J. Watt Foundation or to Deshaun Watson's foundation or, like I said, really, really any charity that you want to. That's kind of uh, the impetus between that for that. And if you want to send us a, uh, you know, a tweet, you can find us on Twitter and let us know how much you donated. Uh, we could do that and it might encourage others to do so as well. Um, I personally am starting off myself by, by donating $100 to the Cancer Research Institute. Um, and that's, uh, that's, that's kind of the pitch. So we hope that you guys will find your heart to throw a few dollars their way and uh, find it in your heart to put up with us for 24 straight hours, even if you end up <laughs> listening to it afterwards on the podcast. Yeah, I, I, love, I love all that, everything you just said. And also, like if you want to come on the 24-hour Super Mega Podcast Apocalypse, 
Uh, you can send me a direct message on Twitter. I'm trying to set up some time on Saturday that I can call some people directly and have them come on for you know 10, 15 minutes or so and give us your your most fork tongue. Um, Jack Eastbury takes as well too. But I'm really excited for this weekend, and we're also going to be able to stream it live on Twitch, and we're streaming it live on Twitch right now as a practice run. I think it'll work out. If not, you'll have a, a lot of podcasts to listen to. You know, next week that should carry you out through probably the entirety of your summer too. So until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Red Radio. And thank you for being on tonight, Chris. Thanks, Matt. See you next time. All right, so uh, we're actually going to go over some free agent targets. And even though the Texans don't have, there isn't a reality where players actually want to come to Houston at all. Um, for the optics of this show, like actually thinking about, oh, yeah, this is a football team and we like football. Uh, we'll talk about some free agent targets. So, Chris, if Deshaun Watson is a member of the Houston Texans in September, he's playing week one, are there any free agent targets that you really like for the Texans to pursue if Watson's around? I mean, I would love to see uh, Clowney come back, <laughs> even if it's a one-year deal. Yeah, I would love um, it but too. I, I, I don't I don't suppose that's a possibility. Um I want Clowney uh, in Arizona. That's what I want. <laughs> yes, that would be perfect. Um I, I, I haven't really looked a whole lot into uh into the free agents quite yet this year because I'm I'm still trying to pull myself out of the slog of uh of this de- this Deshaun Watson uh depression. But I, I think in one of the notes you sent me somewhere, um what was it didn't you say that Hassan Medic was a free agent? Yeah, he is. Okay. I kinda like him. I liked him in the draft. Um, but again, I, I don't, I don't know why he would come here, but <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the hard thing about it. It's like, they have so many holes defensively that they, they really are in a spot where they can be like, okay, we need two players who can go all in on. It's not like green Bay where they, you know, signs the Smith, they signed Preston Smith and they have that great like pass rush in 18. And then, you know, la- or in, in 2019, the last year, Preston Smith was really bad. And it was that Aria Smith was still great, but they don't really have like the money to be able to just go get two guys to fix a problem. They have to spread the money through a lot of different weaknesses that they have. And it's like, I really can't imagine a world where they get somebody like Romeo Cora or Carl Lawson, like Hassan Reddick, like you mentioned, like a really premier edge rusher because of the salary cap problems that they have. Because again, Ron Cobb is making $10.4 million this year. And like, I think William Jackson III would be another great player to sign too. But again, like uh-huh. he doesn't have, uh, I just don't think they have the, the salary cap ability to be able to make like a decision to go all in on one guy. And especially with the the weaknesses throughout this defense. So for me, there's like, I love I love Keanu Neal. Like I think if they could get go like really pay for one player, it would be Keanu Neal, the safety of Atlanta. I think Eric mm-hmm. Wilson would be another great player. It's like you give six million dollars or so too. He's the linebacker in Minnesota who can like stop the run. He's really good in coverage too. Really good in zone coverages also. Like him and Eric Hendricks were you know, great last year together. And then like you need a slot corner. DJ Hayden's fine, I think. Uh, Brian Poole and the Jets would be good too if he leaves the Jets. And I also like Alan Butler a lot. I like Devon Smoot a lot too. I like Cam Sims um, as like a, a possession receiver because the Texans don't really have like a tall physical receiver at all. I think Cam Sims can fit that role too. And so like, those are like the, the main guys I like. I think also if you don't get Cannon Neal, I think Malik Hooker could be fine. Um, he was like, he's a little, like his brain doesn't really match his body at all. And so he's not able to like think quick enough to put him in the spots to make plays, but he still has like the athleticism to make plays. So I think in a simpler defense that Levy Smith may run to that super complicated, you know, cover seven man match Colts defense. I think Hooker be, you know, a possibly good player in a, in a Levy Smith defense instead too. So those are like six or seven guys I like if Houston 
um, does keep Deshaun Watson. I have another scenario I want to toss out to you, Chris. So let's say Houston goes through the draft. They go through the free agency period. They make their cuts as we work backwards here because I said this incorrectly. And it's week one and no, it's it's uh it's August, Deshaun Watson isn't there. It's uh it's the end of August, Deshaun Watson isn't there. It's week one, Deshaun Watson isn't there. Um what would Houston what do you think Houston should do at this point? Should they trade Watson before the season starts? Should they hold on to him for the rest of the season? Should they frantically try to trade as many players as they can and completely gut the roster like right before the, the season starts? What would you what would, what should Houston do at this point if they go through the entire offseason with Watson quarterback, and then he doesn't show up? I mean, he's not going to. I, I, I don't I – don't, Deshaun Watson is a, is a smart guy, and he's surrounded by smart people, um, at least to a point. So I, I feel like he has considered every option. Like, he, he didn't do this without considering the ramifications of sitting out the year. So I feel like he will um, report as late as he possibly can during the season for his contract at all. And, and then I'm sure at that point, the Texans will not want to start him because he won't be, you know, he, he might be in shape, but he's not going to be necessarily in football shape, um, with, you know, however, quote unquote, different the quote, the new system is at that point. Um, maybe he'll know it intimately. I don't know, but, but I also feel like they would not want to start him because they have to continue to accept the possibility that they're going to have to trade him at the end of the season. So but to to answer your question, in this scenario, they have not traded him before the upcoming draft, obviously. Mm-hmm. I would not trade him until the next draft order is known because I don't want to trade him to a team and then feel like, oh, yeah, this team's going to be bad. You know, we're going to get a, you know, this will be the fourth overall pick or whatever. Uh, and then end up they end up being pretty decent and they end up being, you know, like the 12th, the 15th, or the 20th pick or something in the first round. Exactly. So. I would not trade if they're not going to trade him before this draft. I would not trade him until after the season when you know the draft were of the next draft. The thing that complicates this, of course, now, and again, I think you and I have both discussed like we don't really follow the college game very closely, but I think it's universally accepted right now that this upcoming quarterback draft appears to be much stronger than the potential quarterback draft of the next draft. So you sort of have a double-edged sword there because I'm still of the mind that I'm not trading Deshaun Watson. Yeah, like even at point. this point, even at this point, if you're if you're cutting off your nose to spite your face, I'm not trading him. I'm at least going to commit to not trading him for this draft and the entire next season before I actually seriously consider starting to, to trade him because I would rather miss out on the package you could get for Deshaun Watson in this upcoming draft. I'd rather miss out on that and still roll the dice that I could still keep Deshaun Watson. Because at some point, if he wants to be legendary, it's a big difference between taking one year off your career plus the, the four or five that he feels like, oh, 17, 18, the, the four that he's already wasted in his mind, plus this one upcoming, and then another one on top of that. Now you're six years into your career. You're not going to be anywhere close to legendary, my friend. So I... I, I right now, and this could change, but the way I feel about it right now, I'm sticking to my guns because I would rather, I would rather still have a chance to have Deshaun Watson come back and make up than to trade him even in this great upcoming class because a guy like Deshaun Watson only comes around maybe once ever. We don't know because we don't know his ceiling yet. We know that he's already, you can make an argument that he's the second best quarterback in the league. And it's, I think people need to remember he 
was improving. He had his best season in his previous season. So the sky's the limit. Yeah, I agree with that too. I think for me, I would rather operate with the idea that Watson's going to play in Houston this year. I would, of course, like fire Jack Easterby or build him a church next to Energy Stadium. That's the size of Energy Stadium and keep him outside of uh, the operation if it took that to occur to keep Watson in Houston as well. And I would I would operate with the idea that he's going to be here in uh, in 2020. One, then actually trade him ahead of it, uh, ahead of the draft and that sort of thing too. Because I think like the five percent chance that Watson comes back is better than you know the hundred percent chance that he's not going to be here if you make that trade. And so I agree with that. And I and I I think that's the most important point that you made though is that if Watson doesn't play week one and if he sits out the entire of the year. You can't trade him before the season starts. You can't trade him until after the following of the 2021 season, whenever you know the draft order, because you can't trade Watson for the 24th pick. You have to trade him for a top three, top you know, top five pick, and know exactly what you're getting. And also trade him to a team that you know will have you know multiple first round picks in the same draft, or uh, like you know the Jets could offer, the Dolphins could offer this year too. And so I think that's the where you have to stand with that portion of it at the same time. Yeah, and, and on top of that, if I understand correctly, you can only trade p- picks three years into the future. So not only would I not trade him until before and until the this upcoming season is over, but I, if he's gonna, if he's if if they're gonna actually do this and not trade him before this draft, I wouldn't trade him until the until draft day of the fall of, of not this coming draft, yeah. but the next draft, because then you open up the window to get that for to, to get that following year's uh, draft pick. That's how I understand that. Or you, and, like you right can even, now, and you can even like what you're saying too. you could trade him for like the third overall pick or the second overall pick and then get three first round picks past that as well. If instead of right. just trading for that draft, thinking that first round pick of the guy you have taken anyways. Yeah. The way I'm looking at this is okay. The Texans clearly are not a well-run organization right now. But they must have an idea of how this looks. They clearly don't give a damn. So if they don't give a damn now, I'm going to continue to not give a damn. And I'm going to maximize what I can get for Deshaun Watson once I'm comfortable with the fact that I know for sure he is going to leave. And that's not going to happen this year. Like, my thinking is... Deshaun Watson wants to build a legacy. He always says he wants to be legendary. He, wanted, he wants to be considered one of the best of all time. And he is fully capable of that. In fact, I think he's on a track for that. So to me, I have a hard time believing that he is going to take multiple more years off of the four that he feels like he's already wasted. So I feel like this thing could end after this one year stare down that's going to happen because I just, you know, at that point, then you, he's got a, he's got a, what a five-year contract and sure. At some point you have to be like, okay, well you have the cap hit every year and you're missing an opportunity to improve the team every year. And you're not going to sell tickets if you don't have a franchise quarterback and blah, blah, blah. But that's exactly what they're signing up for right now. That's what they signed up for when they uh, hired David Culley as a head coach. That's what they signed up for when they hired retread lovey smith with his antiquated which I, what i think is going to be an antiquated system mm-hmm. that's what they signed up for when they picked a spiritual advisor over a transcendent generational quarterback talent that's what the texans signed up for so they must know how it looks so to me like keep not caring what it looks like as far as i'm concerned because i would rather have the chance to get watson back over all these picks and draft picks that we could get in this upcoming draft that that is now i'm stubborn 
and I admit that I'm stubborn, <laughs> but I am not going to be the guy as an NFL owner or, you know, general manager. I'm not going to be the guy who just says, nope, we're digging in and then just relents as soon as it gets hard. That's not going to happen. Like if I was going to trade him, I would go ahead and just trade him in this upcoming draft. Like I, I'm going to make Deshaun Watson. I, I'm going to call Deshaun Watson's bluff. You want to be legendary? You're not going to sit out two years. You might sit out one. You're not going to sit out two because then you're creeping up on, you know, your, your late twenties at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. I see what you're saying. I think I would force it one year and then go with the idea. Like he's going to be here. Do everything you can to acquiesce, even though they've done none of that all whatsoever. And then if you trade him, trade him um, next offseason too. But if Houston was to trade Watson, I think there's three different ways they can trade him. So the first way is to get a young franchise quarterback. So trade him for Justin Herbert or Kyler Murray. Um, I don't know if Arizona or the Chargers would even make this trade at all because you also want to attach some picks to and that sort of thing too. And like also Herbert, Murray or on rookie contracts. And like these are teams that should be Super Bowl contenders next year with the teams that they have. And I think Los Angeles, especially like in the Chargers are going to be a Super Bowl contender, the cap space they have and Herbert, like being like a transcendent sort of quarterback and, uh, and being able to kind of like morph a team and build it around at a cheaper salary. So I don't even know if that's even a possible option at all, but uh, that's one option for the way a trade could look for Watson. The second uh-huh. one is to collect draft capital. So the Jets, for example, have the second overall pick in 2021. They have the 23rd overall pick in 2021. They have a second overall pick. They have a second round pick this year. They also have two first round picks next year because of Jamal Adams trade too. So you can potentially get four first round picks from the Jets as well as two second round picks from them too. Um, and the third way they can do this is by trading Watson to rebuild like the entirety of their defense. And so for they trade him to Carolina, they could get Derek Brown, Brian Burns, Eder Gross Matos, Jeremy Chin. And that's four young defensive starters. They could probably get you know two first-round picks or maybe two second-round picks in addition for that. And then you just kind of pray and hope you get a quarterback eventually, um, whether it's the draft or like you create a good enough environment where you know somebody wants to be traded there, um, and like you get a veteran quarterback somehow, or you know, you do what Indy does and you trade for the young disgruntled quarterback like they did for Carson Wentz, who was the least valuable quarterback in the NFL last year. But that's another mm-hmm. option there too. So if you had to trade Deshaun Watson. Um, what's your favorite trade and which, which path would you take if you were to trade him? If I were to trade him, uh, I mean, the Justin Herbert angle would be number one for me. Um, so that would be my top choice. Um, I don't know how you feel about it, but, and I know this would never happen because of the whole division rival thing, but, but how, how, I don't think I've ever oh, heard you on this. How would you, how would you feel about getting the number one pick for Lawrence? And what else would you want on top of that, if anything? Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I know you'd want more. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't care at all about trading him inside the division. I think you have to get the best quarterback available. Um, if agree. you were to take that path to him, like, I don't care if I pay if I play Watson twice a year. It really doesn't matter to me. But yeah, I think that's Hell, another really interesting option because you can also get two first round picks as well. Um, yeah. Because you can get the Jalen Ramsey pick that they have. I believe at twenty third overall, like we discussed, the potential potential trade, and then you'd yeah. be like, all right, well, give me. Uh, uh, give me Miles Jack, give me Clavon Chase on, give me one overall, give me 23 overall. Um, I can't remember the name of the cornerback they drafted last year from Florida, but he was pretty good for like the first few weeks of the season too. Give me him and, uh, and like, all right, now we have, now we have a deal here. But yeah, I think that's another option too um, of getting uh, for the Watson trade as well. Okay. So I, I can't remember if I brought this up last time when we talked about Watson trade possibilities, but 
here, here's, here's what I would do, but we'll see, here's the thing, because they, they can't, they can't force him to come in and talk. Um, so what I would do is if I was, if I was Nick Cassera, I'd say, okay, look, Deshaun, I, you know, I walked into this, I wasn't part of this, you know, I had no control over this. So it's not, I know it's not me that you necessarily have an issue with, even though it might be, you know, the, the quote Patriots culture that I might bring, but it's not me. So Cal's not going to be in this meeting. Jack's not going to be in this meeting. Just you and me, Deshaun, Nick and Deshaun. And I would say to Deshaun, okay, I would lay out the scenario that I just laid out to you about him wanting to be legendary. And there's no way you're going to give up two years of your career. You might give up one. You, I, I think you will definitely, you're definitely prepared to give up one. I don't think you're going to give up two. So I'm going to give you one opportunity if you want to be traded. And here it is. And it's not a guarantee that we're, it's still not a guarantee that I'm going to trade you, but here is the only way that I'm going to trade you. Resend your no trade clause right now and let me send you wherever I want to send you, wherever I can get the maximum amount of, of, mm-hmm. of compensation for you. You resend your no trade clause and then I will make and I will make a legitimate strong effort to trade you, but I'm not guaranteeing you that I'm going to trade you. And you being a player who is under contract, you only signed that contract, whatever it was nine months ago, that is just the price you're going to have to pay. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say that I'm definitely going to trade you if you do do that for me. But I'm saying the only possible way that you are going to get traded is going to be as if you, as if you rescind your trade clause. Now, I will try to deal you to one of your preferred destinations. But if I can't get the best deal, it's not going to happen. That's, that's how I would do it. Because I, I'm, look, I'm playing hardball if I'm the Texans. Now, me as a fan, I love Deshaun. I want him to do well. Like, I want him to succeed. I want him to become legendary. I want him to win multiple Super Bowls. But if I'm looking at this from a purely football and personnel perspective, that's the hard line I'm taking. And if he doesn't believe it, then we can see what happens after he's sat out for two seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, so I, I don't think Jacksonville would trade Lawrence for him. I don't think the Chargers would trade Herbert for him. And so I think if I was to make the trade, I would trade him to the Jets and get four first round picks, two second round picks. And like, yeah, you can ask for Quinn and Williams, but I don't think it really matters at all if you have Quinn and Williams or not. Um, nah. Like, I mean, like Quinn and Williams is like an anchor on a front seven, but it really doesn't matter to me all that much. But I think I would go the Jets route, rebuild the entire thing. And like, again, like in a rebuilding environment, the most important thing is draft capital. And so now you're set for, you know, the next two, next two drafts um, upcoming. You can get a quarterback and you can make them sit for a year also. And if they kind of go that way and take a quarterback in this year, whether it's you know Morris or if it's uh, if it's either you know Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, uh, who would you want to see play quarterback for the Texans in 2021 then, and and lead and lead a, lead the team while you know young quarterback backs up? Like, do you want to see Ryan Fitzpatrick? Do you want to see Matt Barkley? <laughs> do you want to see AJ McCarron? Do you want to see Jameis Winston? Yeah, what quarterback do you want to see take place for? Uh, Watson, this was a question from uh, Carlos Flores and Houston Houdini who asked this as well, too. Man, you know, like, so you're saying in a situation where where we don't have a a rookie quarterback that we've drafted. No, if you either one, like, let's say Watson sits out and now you have to start a backup quarterback or you trade Watson, you draft a rookie quarterback. You're like, look, we're not going to make him play behind this offensive line. We're going to make him wait a year. And now we're, we're playing this quarterback instead. Uh, who do you want to see play quarterback for the Houston Texans if Watson isn't involved? I, I understand. Okay. I, I mean, for the purely for the fun factor, I, I got to go with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, it would just be, it would just be an amazing 
you know, coming full circle kind of a moment. And who better to lead a team to a, you know, a, a tanking season? And, and of course, when we say tanking, we don't mean players. Players don't could care less about that stuff. It's about who you put in position, you know, to play the games. And and Ryan Fitzpatrick led tank season would be would be I, I do, it would just be so great. And it would be a nice callback to the Bill O'Brien era of times gone by. I, I think that would be that would be a heck of a lot of fun. Um, although I, I am really curious to see how bad AJ McCarron would be. Oh, yes. <laughs> I would, I, wanted, I, I wish you didn't, I'm so sad we didn't get to see Bill O'Brien coach AJ McCarron offense for a year. No kidding, man. And, and where's Jacoby Brissett these days? Is he, he's a free agent. He, he's a free agent. He's as boring as it gets though. There's nothing. Fun he's about watching Brissett. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a fun guy to bring in. My my, like, fa- my favorite one's Jameis because Jameis will throw forty touchdowns, oh, great one. forty interceptions, yeah. and you'll lose thirty-five to thirty every week, and you'll have a great time doing it. What if What if Drew Brees decides to not retire, but the Saints don't want to bring him back? I think they could. I think they're going to go with Taysom instead of Jameis, and like Jameis is a free agent. I think like, hey, Jameis, here's one year, here's nine million dollars, or however much it takes. You get to start quarterback for the Texans, and we're going to go. Uh, two and fourteen, yeah. and you're gonna throw fifty-five touchdowns this year. Jameis Winston, culture fit. Deshaun Watson, not culture fit. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love Jameis. I think he's a lot of fun to watch, and I he would, is. I would love to see him here. Like again, like there's so much stuff. Like oh, this guy's bad. It, I understand some players are bad, but they can still be fun to watch. And you know, once you get past like who's good and bad, uh, football is a lot more what? fun to enjoy too. What about what about a released Mitch Trubisky? <laughs> That's not he's not fun though. He's boring. Oh, but I mean, for the for the horror element, it would be. Fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. We went through the name redacted season. Like the horror gets kind of boring after after like seven oh. weeks or so. You know. Oh, I wonder if he's a culture fit. That'd be fun. He's in Montana somewhere, <laughs> I think, driving his uh-huh. golf cart around, sitting on his thirty-four million dollars. Uh, uh-huh. So I have some not agent. understanding why he's not legendary. Yeah, that that uh, interview he had was so funny after he was retired for a few years. That was a good yes. one. So I do have a few free agents if Houston decides to trade Watson. Uh, the whole point for agency if they trade him is to get players who are young at like a cost-effective contract. So that way you don't spend too much money of your cap space this year. And again, cap space rolls over for whatever you don't spend to the following year. And then also there should be a cap, uh, like there should be a cap bump in 2022 once like there's mm-hmm. fans of the games this year and the loss of revenue that occurred last season as well. So I still love Butler, Smoot, and Sims in a rebuild. Um, some other guys are Gus Edwards, the running back from Baltimore, Ricky Seals Jones, who's a tight end, who's like tall and strong, has bounced from the league to a couple different spots, but he has he has talent athleticism. Matt Skura couldn't snap the ball, but he had a good season in 2019 and like maybe you know without Nick Martin he could have another good season again in 2021 who knows uh, Laraven Clark was a swing tackle in Indianapolis he played pretty well last year um, in relief of Costanzo but then he got hurt and missed out a bunch of time after that but I still like Clark as a possible starting offensive tackle because he's young mm-hmm. and who knows what you have Larry Ogunjobi's 27 but he's a good interior rusher Puna Ford's a young run-stopping defensive tackle. Solomon Thomas was a former top-five pick of the 49ers. Never produced it all, but hey, he's a top-five pick. Let's give him a shot. Uh, Jeremiah Atuachu played edge at Denver. Pretty good pass rusher. Didn't get to play a whole lot because uh, Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. You know, there's some Shaq Barrett potential there in a way. Uh, not nearly mm-hmm. the same player as Barrett was in Denver, but there may be a better pass rusher there who 
you don't really know about just because he never got enough snaps. Malik Hooker again, Keanu Neal again, uh, Chidobia Wouzier, the cornerback from Dallas, and Artie Burns, the cornerback from Pittsburgh. So like those are the kind of like the younger like guys you could probably get for a cheap one or two your contract that maybe you could extend for a bigger contract if they're good by 2023 when the Texans could possibly be good again. Does AJ Boy have anything left in the tank? I don't know. He was hurt last year and he was slow and he was awful last year. Uh, but he was hurt okay, the year before so he was that bad. too. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I would love to see Boye back in Houston, and the Texans should have franchise tagged him. And that was a very dumb thing. Um, and that, but yeah, I don't. I wouldn't really. I, don't know, I think Boye is like better off like going to Buffalo and being like a fourth cornerback like Josh Dorman was, and going to a one team name. Like that. One name you mentioned that I that I do like, but with David Johnson staying, I have no hope of that happening. Is is Gus Edwards? I've always kind of liked his game. Yeah, he's fun, and I think he can also lead a rushing tackle on his own, unlike David Johnson. You know, and also he's young; he hasn't been hit a whole lot because he was a third running back and didn't have to yep. take the brunt of the carries um, because of their rookie running back from Ohio State that they had in J.K. Dobbins and also with Mark Ingram the year before that, and also how many carries Lamar Jackson has. So, I mean, he's been great in a little bit of time he's had, but I think he can be you know, like a number one running back. Yeah, I just, you just don't know what we have with this offensive line. You know, well, we know what we have in the players, but we don't know how much they can improve with, you know, some decent coaching. And I guess we're going to, we, we can't, I guess we can't, leave out the possibility that there could be some turnover issues because they're, you know, they're, they're changing their center. And, you know, that, that more is an issue probably of the passing game and all the line calls and all that. But I, I'm just kind of curious how, um, you know, first of all, who they're going to plug into that spot. And, and, you know, they, they have to be able to improve the running game. Like, I just, I just feel like it can't get worse every year. And then last year, you know, it was, it was bad again. Um, it was bad the year before that. And I just, I, just just dumb luck, I feel like it should be better next year. But we don't know what the David Culley offense is other than if we have to go third three and out, that's fine. That's all we know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my big draft take, are you ready for it? I'm like I'm not a big Hit draft me. guy. I know you have we have you have a much better you have much better things to do in your life too than watch cornerbacks from mid mid Tennessee State be taking the fifth round. Yes. Um, but my and like I usually watch the draft as it gets a little bit closer to April and like see what kind of needs are left over after free agency and where the team may look at guys. Like last year I looked at all of the interior defensive linemen and I was like, Russ Blacklock is good at this one thing and then the Texans was like, We're not gonna have you do the one thing you're good at and you're gonna throw more punches and have sacks your rookie year. Um, but so like looking at this draft though, I think the big thing for the Texans and I think most teams is that to trade down as much as possible in this year's draft. Because I think this draft is going to be even more random than it usually is. There was a short NCAA season. There was no NFL combine this year. There was no interviews. There was no meetings. There was a senior bowl. I think a lot of teams are going to put most of their stock into their senior bowl, um, what they saw there whenever those practices and that game took place. But like the crucial parts of the actual you know, scouting combine and the scouting process aren't there at all. And so I do think this NFL draft is going to be really wild, really zany. Um, I think it's going to be even more random than it already is. And so I would just try to get as many, you know, pulls at the wheel as possible and just try to collect as many players as possible. And like, usually that's the correct way to do it, but I think even more so that's going to be the correct way to do it this year. Sure. I can see that. Um, and, and that's kind of another reason why I want them to trade Tunsil so much because I feel like they could actually get something decent for him. So man, just get as many at bats as possible in the draft and then for a couple of those high picks, I mean, especially if you do it, if you do end up trading Watson, you have all these high picks, then yeah, man, trade down a couple times 
and just and just I mean that that's really how you achieve a quick you know a hopefully with a, hopefully a quick rebuild because you know I think it's because of antiquated thinking that it takes three four years to turn around an NFL franchise it really just depends really on who your people are you know we 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 have no confidence in this regime so I think we continue to subscribe to the idea that it's going to be you know two three four years but you know maybe Casario is better than his record in New England because, again, in New England, he wasn't the guy who was making the final decision. It was Belichick, for all we know. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe he'll he'll be good. I, I I don't know. The only way to find out is to get a bunch of swings to the plate. So I'm, I'm all for that. I, it, you know, with no combine and everything, like you said, there's just, there's just so much this year that's different. And um, we, we have no choice at some point than to have confidence in in Casario and just hope that these sort of moves that we talked about at the top of the show are just sort of like you know this this Easterby thing where he you know hung on to Johnson which I think for sure is just a favor to Easterby basically to take care of his boy so it doesn't look bad when everyone else sees right through that but just just to sort of be like okay these are just like some lumps he has to take when he comes in the door but when he actually gets down to draft time I cannot imagine that Easterby is going to be having his fingers in the draft too. I mean, that's one th- free agency is one thing, but then also on top of that drafting guys, Oh, this is taking me down a lane of horror that I didn't think of before. <laughs> it's just off the top of my head while we're talking about it. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I think, you know, more swings of the plate, the better. And then especially if you can get a bunch of high picks and then just trade back and, and let's see what we got because, you know, Rick Smith was always great at evaluating first round talent and hanging on to it. But man, and then, you know, he had some, he had some late round successes and then a bunch of undrafted free agent successes, but man, those, those second rounders and those mid rounds were is just an abyss of nothingness. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's see, you know, get a bunch of twos for, you know, maybe one of the ones you get and a couple extra threes in there. And let's, let's see what Casario can do with it. I, I, I just, we have no choice at some point, but to but to have hope in that area. Otherwise, what are we doing? Yeah, I, I mean, I think if you take the Jets package, you draft a quarterback two overall, you you sit him for a year, and then you trade back at twenty third, um, and then you trade back in the second round. You trade back and you try to collect you know, as many picks as you can from there. Uh, but I think you nail down the quarterback spot and find you know the second best guy that you like, and and go from there on it too. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think I completely agree with what you're saying. So my last question for you tonight, Chris, is do you have any hope? Do you have any hope for the future at all whatsoever? <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm trying so hard to say yes right now. <laughs> um, but, you know, like the whole, the whole thing with, with Easterby and Cal and Deshaun, with those three, it is hard for me to have hope because, again, the franchise quarterback is the thing that franchises can spend their entire existence chasing. Have the bears ever really had a franchise quarterback, like a truly great franchise quarterback, the like bears? in the modern era? Yeah. The bears. Yeah. Have they ever had one? I mean, if you, uh, how if you say Jay around? Cutler. Right. No, Jim McMahon wasn't a franchise quarterback. He was a, you know, a well, steward I said, I said on Jay, the ship of Jay a great Cutler defense. is probably the closest you can say. Yeah. And he wasn't. So (laughs) he's the closest. My my point is like, it it, it literally could be once in a lifetime. And if you screw that up with a guy like Deshaun, who's not a jerk, who's been a good soldier, who's played ball, and then now decide he can't take anymore. If you screw that up, you will screw up anything. So as far as I'm concerned, they can't make a worse decision or a worse move than they're doing right off the bat with Deshaun. So 
the cynic in me, which is, you know, 96% of my body composition, <laughs> um, wonders how could it get better when they screw that thing up? So I'm trying. My only hope is that Casario is actually a really great talent, talent evaluator. It just didn't shine through the last several years in New England because Belichick had the final call. But I mean, beyond that, like, I, I, why, do free, why would free agents want to come here right now? I don't know. When they, maybe they draft a couple of guys who are really great. What's to say that they don't want out after the first contract? Because you couldn't keep Deshaun Watson happy, who's a pretty easygoing guy by all accounts. So I'm, I'm trying. I'm really trying. But right now I don't. But it's still fresh right now. So maybe in a year, two years, I'll feel better. I, I just don't know yet. Yeah, I, I don't after the Watt release and the David Johnson decision to keep him here. But I think they could still be good in two or three years just by the sheer amount of resources they may have if they do trade Watson, if they do create a lot of cap space. Because again, like you mentioned, it doesn't take seven years to build a good football team. You can do it in two seasons. It's a very quick and mercurial game. You can win up close games out of nowhere. You can hit on a quarterback out of nowhere and kind of carry you um, and go about like that too. So I, I have, I've hoped just like if they do trim just because of the sheer amount of resources, but I don't think uh-huh. this is the right guy in Casario already uh, just based on those two decisions that were made. But we have a whole offseason to see what other – um, crazy things he can come up with too. So I don't know. It sucks though. <laughs> it sucks. Like it's just hard to do. It's like hard to talk about the football team because it's not a football team. It's a business operation. It's a it's yeah. a fellowship of the football team, as you mentioned earlier. It's like <laughs> yes. all this stuff that we talked about for you know close to two hours doesn't really matter all that much. But uh, that's all I have for now. Do you have anything else at all, Chris? I just add to that. You know, you're you're a pretty young guy, and you've only really been a Texans fan. Like I, I'm, I'm a bit older. Like I was an Oilers guy. I, I, I've been waiting for a franchise quarterback since Warren Moon. So for me, you know, this, this is a, a, a loyalty testing gut punch, like you, like you wouldn't believe. You know, I've mentioned it several times, and I've never even considered changing my alliances or dropping my team before ever through all the horrible stuff that's happened on the field and off the field for the Oilers and the Texans. I never even once considered thought about for one second ever walking away, but, but this Watson thing has me at least thinking about it. And, and like, I think I've also said before, the only thing that's keeping me, I think at this point is, is the relationships I have like with people like you and other friends who I bond uh, over the Texans with. So um, when you say hope, you know, it's hard because Watson was that hope, you know, we finally got that guy. And they're just pissing him away. And that just, it's, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a guy that my whole life is not wrapped up in NFL football. And I know that most people, I think probably most people are that way, but there's a lot of fans who their entire week is ruined when the Texans lose. And I'm not that guy. And I'm very thankful that I'm not that guy, but as far as like, guys, I do. I feel bad for their wives, <laughs> but in the, in the, well, macro, I, I mean like, especially for the next two years, like, I really feel bad for those guys. Yeah. And, 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 and then, but in the macro of just, of just like being loyal to a team and supporting a team and you know, man, I know hard times as a sports fan. I'm an Astros fan. I'm a Rockets fan. I'm an Oilers and Texans fan. I know hard times, man. I can, it's like a prison sentence. I can do, I can do three years. <laughs> Three standing on my nothing. head, man. It's nothing, man. I've done, I've done decades. It's fine. 
But the problem is you have to understand that they're working towards something. You have to see that there's a plan. And right now, the only plan I see is fellowship of the Texans, and I'm not okay with that. Yeah, and again, like exactly what you said, that's the kind of – like if you do trade Watson, if it's a situation that can't be salvaged at all, at least like you hope there's some like plan for you know rebuild for the next two years. And again, by releasing Watt, Watt for nothing, by keeping Johnson, like it completely spits in the face that there's some – idea out there of what they want of how they're going to rebuild this football team as well too um so i mean it's all it's all a mess though but it'll be fun i'm excited like you alluded to earlier like I, it's not about winning football games it's about faith family and olive garden it's about getting pizza after the games it's not about actually winning the football games and so this weekend will be a testament to that as we have the 24-hour podcast apocalypse um and we make that happen and so i know chris you already had everything that you need to listen. You said that earlier. You said that towards the middle. Do you want to say it one more time just for fun? As far as the, the charitable part? Yeah. And, ever, and like sure, when sure, to sure. listen, the schedule, how to get a hold of us, to call in, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, 8 o'clock Central on Fridays when it starts. We're going to go for as many of the 24 straight hours, hours as we possibly can. We're working on having a Twitch stream set up so you can listen to it live. It'll probably just be audio, which is fine. Um, otherwise we'll have it broken up into, into podcasts afterwards. Um, charitable element. We're not tracking the dollars, the, the dollars collected, uh, because we don't want to do a third party pass through to get it to them. So we're just asking you to donate the cancer I picked for this. Uh, it was left to me and, uh, the cancer research Institute is the one I chose. They're uh, highly rated. They, if you go on, you can sort of do some research on your own. Um, and we also encourage you to donate to the JJ Watt foundation and the John Watson foundation for obvious reasons, or really any charity you want to. So, uh, the hope is that you will see the hard work we're all putting into this pot, into this marathon podcast. And, uh, you will just, uh, you know, find in your heart to send a few dollars to someone who's a little bit less fortunate. And that's, uh, that's pretty much my pitch. You can hit us up on Twitter if you want. I'm at Houston diehards. Matt, Matt's Twitter handle is Nobody Matt, knows M-A-T-T. It. It's M-A-T-T. <laughs> Double underscore Weston. If you just if you just send a tweet to Matt underscore Weston, oh, it's God. like some child in Utah or something. Maybe I could pay him ten bucks for the single underscore. Matt, you must have known this when you when you got the handle. Like you you cannot look at that at that Twitter handle and and just have someone on faith know what it is because there's two <laughs> underscores. You really can't tell unless you look closely. It's literally like a, it's like some child. <laughs> We'll see. I, had, so, I was I was MBW nine seven for way too long, um, yes. and it took me way too long to get that changed. But I liked it, and so I was like, "Well, let's do Matt Weston. This is the only way I could do it." And so, yeah, maybe I should Venmo the child in Utah that has the single underscore, you know, ten dollars to get the single underscore. You know. Yeah, yeah that 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 might be that might be a windfall for him. You don't know. Well, it's funny because like I've done a few like you know local radio station interviews talking about Deshaun Watson, whether it's like Palm Springs or. You know, some small, like some area in Illinois outside Chicago. And they're like, yeah, uh-huh. you can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore West. I'm like, it's two. There's two of them. There's two. Yeah, but see, that's your fault. That's not I their fault. I know, it's my fault. But look, you know, I'm a professional so, so football yeah, you, writer and, and this is how the brand works. So you guys can hit us up on those Twitter handles or you can just, uh, you know, tweet at the main Balrog blog handle, which is at Balrog blog. And uh, let us know you donated, and we'll retweet it in hopes that it will encourage other people to donate. But uh, we will see you on Friday night. Can't wait. Can't wait. We'll be there. Um, so until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Valorant Radio. Thank you for being on site, Chris. Sure thing, Matt. See you next time.
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.